Please attend carefully. The message that follows is vital to the future of you all. Sweet Dorks, we are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new, or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who, we are the gents with suggestions for you. I'm Stephen. I'm Dan. And I'm Cole. Hey! hey. We've got Colin back. <laughs> Welcome back, Cole. Thanks, mate. It's uh, good to be back. It's really good to have you back. Nice to see you. For, to see you nice. For those Sweet Dorks who didn't start at the start with us, maybe, uh, who don't know, we uh, Cole's one of the original three of us who started this podcast together. and uh, The original triumvirate. We had to have you back for what is one of the best stories we're ever going to do, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I'm, gl- I'm really gl- stoked to be here. It's, um, it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, Oh, we're really glad to have you, and oh my god, we, we couldn't do this one without you. We had to bring you back for this I one. am so glad to be here. Hmm. Yeah, this is very exciting. And I uh, have my training wheels on. I'm very rusty, so you boys are very much... <laughs> you lads will be taking the lead. <laughs> well, uh, it won't take long for you to get your wings back, I don't think. Oh, uh, it's, been, it's been a long it time since we've, uh, we've done this together, and uh, I've missed my sweet dorks. But you two are the sweetest of all dogs. <laughs> Listen to that. That's lovely. Well, it's great to have well, you back. thank you. And yeah. yeah, like I said, we couldn't do uh, Logopolis without you. We've Absolutely been, uh, no. yeah. I feel like we've been building to this one for 20 episodes. This is our 20th, 20th or 21st episode. Yeah. And we have been building to this for a long time. Very much so. How deep can you go well, down the rabbit hole? Well, let's find out. But uh, it is Logopolis. It's season 18, Tom Baker's last season. And in fact, his last story, the seventh yeah. of the season, written by Christopher H. Bidmead. Yeah. Mm. And uh, script edited as well uh, by uh, Christopher or H. Did he? Or did yeah, he? Yeah, supposedly script edited by, by Christopher H. B. Mead, but we watched the commentary, commentary the yeah. together and he said that he wasn't sure that he did. He thinks maybe Saywood did it without. We're going to have to double check that. I'm, I wasn't aware that Saywood had started as early as 1980, but. He, uh, he doesn't seem to think that he was the script editor, even yeah. though his name's on the credits. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, Interesting. He's, he's all. I mean, this one's all Bidmead. It's pretty. It's very Bidmead. It is very, very, very much Christopher Edge Bidmead. It'd be nice to find out somehow whether or not that's the case. But if uh, only we could. If only we could. Uh, the producer. Ah, well, this is uh, J and T. Is this J and T's like first season? It is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And we'll be getting into that a bit with a f- well, a few things actually. The mm. design choices and. Yeah, very much stamping his his direction and choice, uh, creative choices on Doctor Who, very it's much from the start. Start of big changes, like right yeah. at the end of Baker's. Baker's era, you've got J and T coming in and changing everything much to his liking. Like you remember, like he changes the the intro sequence. That's one of the first things mm. you notice, right? Like That's it's very true. So different from that yeah. Tom Baker it, time tunnel. You've got this like Starfield. I've always seen it as the Davison intro, but it's really interesting to see that he brought it in. He chose to bring it in as Tom was leaving it. Yeah, I always forget that it's like Tom had it for a while. Yeah, it's because so, it's so Davison to me. Yeah, it is um, so Davison. And per, we had the 
time tunnel. Yeah, that's right. For season too. eleven, yeah, yeah, his last one as well. So there's a parallel there between them. Um, I, I love this star sequence. Oh, oh. introduction. <laughs> I think I've said this before. I think mm. this is my favorite. Your favorite? Mm, favorite. Okay. I don't know if it's my favorite. For me, it's the, the backwards guitar. It's the, yeah. it's the backwards guitar. <laughs> I just love I how love it, it starts. Like it starts, it's just pounding, and it's like mm. it's unabashedly late seventies, early eighties. Like it's so eighties. So <laughs> yeah, and it's that's just J&T right there. It's just like thundering and thumping, and like when it starts, like we're used to a more haunting Tom Baker ethereal. Yeah. you know ghostly theme but this yeah. is this one's like we're here to party this is gonna be a good time and I, and I for one am ready to have a good time because this theme rules there's a fair bit of glitter in there as well yeah a lot of that sort of um, star trails like yeah. um, with one of those cross cross filters on the on the lights and then at the end of the, the, the end of the outro a star comes out and smacks you in the face right the there. white out yeah that's great gorgeous and the um, in the neon tube logo which I love yeah and that's a JNT I didn't know that. That's a JNT creation. It is, but it's also very much of that sort of late 70s, early 80s aesthetic as well. Very much a design choice that echoes mm. the time. Because they've had that other logo for quite a long time. The diamond logo. Yeah, yeah. diamond was Classic a f- diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I love the bubble logo. It's also, again, <laughs> super early 80s. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. It feels, it does look quite dated now, but in a way that I love. Like I yeah, just love. but it's become part of what you recognize with Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and quite daring, as, as was the McCoy logo too. I mm. mean... Yeah, that's very much of its time. They're very much of its time, yeah. Much. And they slapped, that, they slapped the bubble logo over so many of the target novelizations. Oh, oh that neon that font I, yeah. absolutely mm. burned into my... Yeah. And not least the, the novelization for the Gopolis itself, yeah. Mm. Which you can see, I guess, on your iPhones or phones of choice, Sweet Dogs, if you <laughs> have a look at the, the artwork that Dan's put together <laughs> hey, for this month. We had a rare treat <laughs> earlier today actually watching Dan at work. <laughs> Scribbling away at my screen, trying yeah. desperately to hide, <laughs> hide, hide the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun no, stuff. It's an, art, it's an art what you do. It's a, yeah. it's a fun puzzle. Um, mm. But yeah, so like so many changes in this last season, getting ready for JNT's like very long run right up until the end mm. of the classic season. How many years is that? Like nine or eight? Gosh. A Actually, mm. well, season 18 through to, to 26. So, so that's yeah. nine seasons. Long time. Yeah. The, longest, the longest producer that they had, yeah, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. Mm. Longest running. And he's been the producer for most of the stories that we've done, I guess, probably the majority. Yeah, quite a few of them, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Our, our director is Peter Grimway. Hey. Or Grimmers, as oh. everyone seems to yeah. have called him. One as year. Janet Fielding I, seems to refer like to him. Yeah. <laughs> everyone calls him Grimmers. Grimmers. All right, we've seen uh, his work before, if uh-huh. we remember. Yes, Earth Earthshock. Oh, yeah. That's it right. was a very stylistically directed mm. uh, series, and I think there's there's a lot of his flourishes that come through in the Gopolis as well. A lot of flair, mm. a lot of moving cameras. Mm. And like what we were saying before, there's awesome bits where the camera sort of starts high and then pans. Yeah, and he's, the ma- he's the master of the shot, and it's not just down to action either, you know. Earthshock had a lot of that action direction was fantastic yeah. um, you know and we get a bit of that with like the you know the collapsing city in Legopolis um, mm. but you know but those sh- overhead shots in uh, the beautifully designed cloister room which we get oh, to yeah. see mm. they're, they're, o- they're overhead they're through the ferns and the, and, yeah. the, and the greenery and stuff and you've got this burgundy baker sort yeah. of very gothically <laughs> walking mm. around and it's like they're amazing shots it's a lot of stuff he's always has something in the foreground like right next to the to the camera yeah. and even at the end when he's sort oh. of panning down through the girders of the mm. the feet of the, the pylons mm. uh, right when he's lying down it just looks so great oh it's amazing it's awesome. yeah so yeah. it's a bit of a dream team for this one well an 80s dream team I, I think I think it's yeah very much so mm. definitely so that's that's our production team behind the scenes what about in front of the cameras our TARDIS team what mm. do we, well the well, doctor the, is the Burgundy no. Baker Tom's the, yeah. <laughs> Colin's favourite you, you love the Burgundy Baker I love the Burgundy Baker I and do I don't too. I don't even know um, 
I don't even know how it, it adds to this story. I've always said about Legopolis, it's more than just a story. It's a mood piece. Mm-hmm. And even though the Burgundy Baker's been present for season 18, yeah. right up until now, there's something mm-hmm. about it. He looks older. He looks yeah, he, does. he, he does. looks aged. He looks like he's ready to go. He's got a bit of grey in his he's hair. A, yeah, yeah, he's a bit slower. Yeah, he's a bit thin, and, thinner. Yeah, and a bit but more gaunt. He is gaunt. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he might have had some health issues around this time. Well, he, was, yeah. he was like terrified of the end, I suppose, wasn't he? He was yeah. a bit scared of leaving after he'd made the, the leap. He, the perfect, that's right. And we saw that. Years, we yeah. saw that. What was the name of that documentary? The uh, a new, uh, new Body at Last? The, the, the New yeah. Body at Last. That stuff. Oh, my God. I learned so much from that. It was yeah. such a great little doco was, on the Logopolis DVD. Yeah, mm. I mean, Tom's wonderful, but... Um, <laughs> But you can see the stress in his face when you're seeing the sort of the behind the scenes, mm. you know, when he's getting ready for when they're actually shooting the regeneration, the regeneration yeah. and they've got him laying in the, the spot and stuff. And then when they call cut and you see it on his face and you realize, you know, that's it. Yeah. It's over now. Yeah. It's it. quite the a moment. The look on his face is just, you know, it's like, how do you deal with that? I don't know. It's even it's kind of in the... Seven years. That like, it's even in the, on that last shot when he's dangling on the cable. Yeah. You can see that. That's like one of the, oh. the greatest shots of Tom Baker and mm. all of Doctor Who where he's just sort of staring at the... Oh. The screen, uh, staring at the camera and it's kind of like staring into his he, own he, he knows it's now it's he yeah. knows it's now yeah, yeah. he really gives it all in this one I think it's great yeah I think oh. it's wonderful it is It is as you say Cole something that is um, you know throughout all of season 18 there's a running theme which we'll get into uh, mm. later on I guess um, but you know this is you know the wintry doctor as we approach the, mm. the end for, for the fourth uh, incarnation of, of him as played by Tom Baker um, the wintry you know, doctor the, the, love that, <laughs> <I> love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's there's a there's a feeling that you know the end is nigh and mm. uh, look not least in the Goblins, but I think all the way throughout season eighteen, and it's probably due you know very simply to the fact that they would have sat down at the beginning of the season, and uh, made the decision actually we're not going to continue on to the season nineteen with Tom Baker as, as the Doctor, yeah, and you know having to come to terms with you know the best part of his professional life and after seven years having to let go of that it comes through in his performance. He he uh, as he as he says himself in that interview he's um. <laughs> He, every year he'd make the song and dance. Oh, I'm getting too long in the tooth. I think it's time for me to push on there. No, Tom, no, 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 no. do one back. more year. But this time and he was like, yeah. yeah. This time they were like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> Actually, Tom, we have been talking. And, yeah. I think producers want, well, they want their own doctor, right, don't they? It seems to be a thing. Yeah. yeah. With new direction comes... Especially well, a new doctor quite often. Even into the new series, yeah. they seem yeah. to have one their own. Oh, very much yeah. so, yeah. You, you can't have a new producer or a showrunner or, you know, person in charge without having their, their creative vision stamped over it, including yeah. the choice of actor too. Choice of actor, um, often a stark contrast to the last. I mean, who do you get to fill the boots of Tom? Oh, you, you get Peter Davison mm. from All Creatures Great and Small. Yeah, we, we spoke about this in the Earthshock episode. Yeah. Like, he was a massive star at the time. He was in two yeah. sitcoms that yes. it was making actually at the time that it was also making Doctor Who and being yeah. cast in it. Um, and it was very much a, a pair of safe hands, I guess. To household the name. Household name, yeah. You know, you're going to attract the viewers by virtue of the fact that you've cast him. But mm. at the same time, bit of a bit of a left field choice. Seemed quite young for the role. And yeah, yeah. He was yeah. more surprised than anyone. Yeah. Like, and people forget things like this when they, you know, back in the day when they said Matt Smith was going to was too mm-hmm. young to play the role. It's like this has happened before, yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. And it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did it ever? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yeah, I love that bit as well about. Um, Peter's first day on set was actually to shoot the regeneration yeah. sequence. Mm. And he only met Tom 
in the bar, the BBC yeah. bar, after yeah. they'd actually shot it. And he says, and he said something to me, and he and I couldn't hear him over the, <laughs> over the din of the BBC bar. He gave me some sort of words of advice, and I just sort of nodded and smiled and agreed, and and that was that. And then it cuts to Tom in the interview. He said, I, th- I was probably asking him to you know get the next round in and make mine a double. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. But he also goes on to say that he couldn't have offered any advice because that would be to yeah. almost offer habit to react. That's a very magnanimous thing to say, oh, I think. I think so. But also very true in the sense yeah. that, you know, every Hamlet has a different interpretation according to the actor and it's the same as the Doctor as well. I think Tom shows a, a lot of, I don't know, whether it's maturity or whatever in, with the wisdom of hindsight. But, mm. um, yeah, I, I think he's right there. Yeah. And with that, the last story for our Doctor comes a new story for somebody else. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. C- companion, uh, companion Tegan Javanka played by Janet Fielding. Mm. Yeah. Australian. Uh, again, uh, early on creative choice of JNTs to try and appeal to the Australian market. Yeah, that's true. It's, so so weird. She's, she's actually from Brisbane. Yeah, she's originally. definitely a Queenslander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Told a few porkies in her audition, supposedly, to get the role as well. <laughs> all the more power to her. Definitely. Um, I think she's great. I, I love that she's sort of... Um, they keep they keep her wearing it for too long, but I like that she's sort of wearing the stewardess outfit and it's kind of like um, yeah. something mm. that she keeps on for a few more episodes than they probably should keep I don't it. know how many more I know she's got it on in time flight for quite a few I think I'd, but it's it's a cool look and it's like it's kind of cool that she's getting, about to get on a plane and uh, start a new life and a new mm. job and she ends up on a flying away in a time machine yeah she's uh, dressed for the part yeah, the, yeah she does get costume changes whereas our other two members of this TARDIS team yeah. don't they're yeah. almost like Scooby-Doo characters a, they, well, they Adric clothes definitely are the same. doesn't yeah. it's kind of a J&T thing isn't it like we yeah. talked about Costumes. it before to give people uniforms yeah. Yeah. they keep forever Adric's like, in that ridiculous thing from <laughs> J-Dot hey, he's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a utilitarian mathematician man he doesn't he's not a head for fashion no really no so we've got we've got our brash Australian companion Tegan who's um, she just wants to get home uh Throughout yeah. the series, yeah, yeah, even even though she's on remarkable new alien worlds, and yeah. you know, even in the collapse of the universe, is really excited about getting back to Earth. <laughs> yeah, and her, her her job. I was really annoyed job. by that. Yeah. She was like, they were the universe is collapsing, and they're like, well, we better get back to Earth. And she's like, oh, she's like, oh, Earth. And it's like, Tegan, millions of people are dying every second. Like, uh, but anyway, we've also got. Um, uh, Let's talk about Adric. Yeah, yeah okay. Let's so Matthew Waterhouse, um, this is, again, he's probably second or third story. Mm. Um, he's been banging around since that sort of e-space. Yeah, bit so with full circle. Stated, uh, full, uh, yeah, full circle, State of Decay, Warrior's Gate, and now Legopolis, mm. yeah. Um, what do we think? He's uh, he's often maligned, sometimes unfairly, I think, because sometimes yeah. his performance, like his performance in this one, I think, is pretty good. Like he's, I think so. He's never, they never write him, I mean, they're... Often they write him as kind of complaining and whining or mm. kind of being annoying. And uh, this one, he's just kind of concerned. And then, then he's kind of just doing a job for a lot of it. I think he really benefits from the fact that he's got Tom to himself for at least the first yeah. episode in a mm. bit. It's almost like the mentor-mentee relationship that really needed to, oh, God, to, yeah. to happen really to make good. this character work. Um, God, sort of Tom was hard on him too. <laughs> yeah. Put him through his paces. A bit scary probably for an yeah. 18-year-old but as a massive fan as well, you can imagine him sort of coming in and being overawed and maybe mm. even let down by the, the shenanigans of, of Tom Baker. <laughs> Tom Baker. That's probably yeah. quite true. Um, but what, what, uh, but I, just, I do love that stuff at the start when he's sort of getting, they're walking around the cloister room uh, and he's just sort of um, holding court with that drink. It's really yeah. cool. And, then, and the, all the repair sequence stuff they're going through with the chameleon circuit. I like that. Mm. You're right. It's, it does benefit because 
often, especially with this three companion set that we have for quite a while after this. One of those threes always misses out. It's hard to write. Mm, I think yeah. it's hard for, to write three companions and a doctor and a, and a supporting cast and yeah. giving them all something interesting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Going, going back to the, um, the first episode and the Tom and Adric scenes, mm. you know, this, they, apart from seeing the cloister room for the first time in this story, we also hear something, the cloister bell. Mm. Now, I, you guys just reminded me of, of those scenes where Adric keeps trying to draw the doctor's attention to the bell because it's going off and he and the doctor just doesn't care he's like that that's not important <laughs> yet that bell is now how many times have we heard that bell yeah it's in the new series it it's is. certainly in this podcast yeah i do littered yeah. throughout <laughs> yeah we use it a lot i feel like it has been overused a little bit in the since then because at the time it's like you, i don't think you ever heard it before or since in the classic series and it kind of meant no, that it was right. a real serious thing yeah like it's quite mm. it's a beautiful sound though yeah, i love it i love that they've used the same exact same sound yeah. in the new series it's, it hasn't well. changed has it yeah it's a, li- a little bit like i think we've talked about before like um well i think when we first started this podcast it was during the capaldi's run mm-hmm. and the hum of the tardis is the same yeah true that might have been in our episode zero actually I when we were talking of yeah. an earthly child we're yeah. talk, talking about the tardis hum and how yeah. it has largely remained love, the same i love that hum uh and so we've got companion number three nissa who's mm. she didn't sort of come along in the tardis at the start of the gopolis from the from the last episode truck and she just kind Ooh. of shows up on on yeah. the gop right so and it's a bit of a a bit of a jolt bit of a puzzler um, but you know we've, we were talking about this yesterday Steve and at the end of the day all it comes down to is the fact that J&T wanted her back yeah mm. and they had to write her in somehow yeah and so it turns out that she got Com- picked up by the, by watcher, the watcher and brought to Legopolis yeah I mean in a modern series you probably would have had a five minute cutaway that sort of explained what was going on back in mm. Truk yeah something like, of her on Truk and- yeah rather than sort of appearing you know immediately on Legopolis as she does um, I think, you know, going back to that point around J&T, he really wanted a crowded TARDIS. Uh, mm. And that's sort of the term that's been used since mm. to describe the three companions in this era and, and the doctor, the fifth doctor that's going to come in. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know whether it's, it always entirely works, but I think the rationale is that if you surround the doctor with enough companions or characters, mm. it's more of an ensemble rather than a sort of... Uh, putting that enormous pressure on, on that new doctor to take over from Tom. And I can kind of, I actually do see the sense in, in that. Mm. Um, it's just a shame though that um, kind of like in, in, in Legopolis as well to some extent, but much more so in season 19, one of those three companions yeah. sort of is pushed to the periphery and we don't see as much of them. That could even be argued that uh, we, we have it in, in series 11 with Yasmin, uh, Yasmin's I was, character. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to yeah. ask you how you thought they handled this, the crowded Tardis scenario with series 11. Yeah, it just it seems to be the case that they they always get, one always gets pushed out mm. to the margins. And it's, it's it is, frustrating because yes, you can see, you know, in the first year of Doctor Who with uh, William Hartnell and, you know, the the three companions that 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 does work i think yeah, it really I, does. I can't think of one that got pushed to the periphery mm, there's always something for, for each of them to do later on you've got um sort of harry and sarah and then the unit crew it's yeah we, we haven't really do had we ca- a- did we count unit crew as companions oh, i'm not getting you know, into that yeah. <laughs> no, no but but having a more than one having like three companions isn't something that happens very often no not really i like it i like it because they can you often you get to see them the three companions bounce off each other as well mm. as with the doctor and that's fun sometimes but yeah you don't get as much character development for each one there no. just isn't the space in four 25 minute episodes no. to do it and when you've got two of those three that are somehow connected from outside the title like well series 11 Graham is um, the step grandfather of Ryan, so mm-hmm. there's already this hmm. this thing that, that there's a, a character play that's going on between, between those two yeah. for the whole series. 
Um, and you know, you got you know Yaz on the side who only went to school with the man. Mm. Yeah, she does sort of get pushed to the side it's a bit. Mm. But you know, it's early days. We might see more of her in yeah. series twelve. She might get un unnissed. Unnissed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that does seem to be a failing, I guess, of this TARDIS team. But, you know, Sarah Sutton, great actress. I think mm. she does a really good job. Uh, there's a sequence later on in episode four that we might oh, get to where mm. she plays it absolutely superbly. So, yeah, mm. she so, does. Uh, She's know, great. I've got nothing but good things to no, say about exactly. Sarah Sutton. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just that they write her, kind of and write her to the background a lot, don't they? Would you say this is Adric's best story? I actually would. Yeah. I think the quality of the story kind of raises him up as well. Like yeah. It's just a great story. But he's, yeah, he's great now. Mm. I don't think he gets um, anything as good to do. Um, or never mind putting in a good performance until probably you know the last couple of episodes of Earthshock. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, and maybe moving on, uh, Steve. I was just thinking to myself, if you had to sum up Legopolis in one sentence, what would it be? Look, I'll tell you what's been floating around in my head for decades now to sort of try and distill what this story is for me, uh, and it goes a little something like. Funereal complexities in monochromatic maroon. That is what Legopolis monochromatic is maroon. Yep, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pithy half sentence. <laughs> Loving it. That's great. I like it. Right, so I guess uh, we're done with the list. We're probably heading into spoiler territory now. Uh, um. Oh yeah, and actually, guys, uh, I've been in touch with someone. Do you remember Clive? Oh, oh, what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, behind um, the scenes BBC uh, Star Wars. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, look, I mean, like, since his since his departure from New to Who, he's been sort of he's been sort of, you know, trotting around the globe and he's been dropping me the odd line here and there and I managed to sort of get him on the phone and, and get him to agree to come in and do our spoiler zone hey. section today. So Amazing. I don't know where he is though. I've been trying to get hold of him and he's, he's not he's picking meant up to be his, here. He's meant to be here. Oh, oh yeah. uh, whose phone is that? Uh, hello. It's uh Steve, that's your phone, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, hang on. Hello. Hey, our lads. Clive? The one and only. Where? I'm back. Where, where are you? Clive, you're meant to be here, mate. You told me you were going to be here and you were going to organise the spoiler zone thing. Where are you? How far away are you? I've gone you one better. We're doing Legopolis. I'm actually on Legopolis. <laughs> oh my God. What, what? what do you mean that you're on Legopolis? I'm on Legopolis, just as I say. I'm, I'm on the top of a gantry. <sighs> Uh, currently, well, I got no reception, so I'm on top of a gantry. Uh, it's very similar to the the Ferris Project one on on Earth, oh, actually. Come on, just right, be careful up there. Yeah, oh, Clive, just take it easy, Clive, mate. Why, why are you climbing a gantry? I mean, it's all right. Tying me scarf now. Oh, Clive, God. Uh, that does not look no, health and safety to me. What? Well, it's wearing. It's tilting. Clive. Oh, oh crumbs. Clive. Clive. Clive, can you hear me? It's the end. And I've <laughs> myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, and with that, I guess we've lost Clive. Uh, it's yeah, a new that era. sounds like it might be the end of Clive. <laughs> but, you know, he did his job. He did what he said he would do. He's he brought us into Spoiler Town. Uh, and on that note... Let's talk about the story. Yeah. Let's... Where to begin? I mean, the story is so... It's, there's so much going on in this one. Oh, it's so much, and we will get into it, but I think we have to start with Tom as the Doctor oh, and do, his I last agree. as the Doctor. Mm. Um, I don't, there's a lot to be said around this, but I think it's also a point in time where Doctor Who will never be the same again. Mm. After seven years of Tom Baker as the Doctor, we've we've you know very much moved into the 80s, into the satellite age, into the J&T age, and, uh, mm. and Legopolis really does sort of mark a, a turning point for the series. Mm. It feels like a real definite end. 
Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, it's such a, a, a fantastic regeneration story, a great regeneration sequence. Yes. And it's such a sharp change from, from Baker's Doctor to Davison's Doctor that mm. it really feels like a, like a demarcation point. I'm going to go on record and say it's the best regeneration sequence that's ever been created. I think it is. Mm. I think it's, I think it's, it's my favorite one. I think it might be better than any of the, the new season ones. It's just like so strange mm. that it's sort of, he sort of morphs from Tom into that, into the Watcher, and then from the Watcher into that sort of like it's beautifully done clay covered sort of fetus Davison. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I love that. And one. We were watching the commentary, and you said it's like it's like a you're watching a baby being born. And yeah. It is. Yeah, it is like well, it's that. like watching yeah. Davison being born, and then <laughs> yeah. um, and then you got the clean Davison, which I had no idea they filmed in sequence like this. They, yeah. they filmed him in the, the Tom in the spot, then Davis the Watcher guy in the spot, then Davison in the spot, and then they cleaned him up. Like they must have scrubbed yeah. that stuff off of him in like ten seconds. Yeah, really. they covered him in clay and stuff. They, they uh, put white in his hair and stuff. Yeah, he yeah. looks he looks great. It's like a little baby bird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's creepy. It's it's creepy. It's and it's calm and it's uh it's not like an act, an action sequence. It's, it's like a slow funeral. Funeral. But, sorry. Yeah. We're gonna say that word a lot, aren't yeah. we? We are. <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce it many times. Look, we spoke a little bit earlier about Grimwade's shot around the girders, that tracking shot mm-hmm. to Tom on the ground with, with the companions around him. But um, we talk about the music as well. Paddy Kingsland. Yeah. yeah what a the score. Com- what a score. That bit of music is breathtakingly one perfect. After, uh, after to- Tom lands? After, well, yeah. Yeah, after he, after he falls, yeah. Yeah, I love it. You have that sort of minor key chromatic scale to sort of intimate the falling action. Yeah, like a tumbling down. Yes. And to go with the tracking shot. It then sort of, sort of heads into that, mm. almost like a cloister bell pulse as the Doctor sort of sits, you know, there in his final moments. It's called, the piece is called It's the End. Oh, okay. Funnily enough. And yeah, it's available on the 50th anniversary soundtrack yeah, you've been brought out back in 2013 you've been listening to the soundtrack recently i have you yeah it. it's it's fantastic it's great. yeah it's amazing he also did um i think it was megloss and frontios oh he does a lot like i know he does castraval one of my favorites as oh well. wow okay. and he's he's a he's a, he's a um, incidental composer who comes up again and again mm. um from season 18 onwards uh you know ushered in by jnt i'll tell you what else i really love about it is in addition to that sort of serene portentous quality as we sort of get into the regeneration sequence, there's that optimistic, you know, regenerative, mm. uh, things are renewing uh, aspect to the, to the music yeah. as well. We're saying goodbye and we're saying hello exactly. at the same time. Yeah. A little cheerful musical Davison face <laughs> yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with that little who whistle to top it off at the end. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's, and that's the hello part. That's the... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it does yeah. that little eye widening thing yeah. with his yeah. eyebrows. <laughs> and, like, and, Surprised and perplexed, <laughs> and like we said earlier about um, you know behind the scenes and seeing seeing the strain on Tom's face at you know the fact that it, this is really it this is now over, you know he didn't get a more fitting send off did he? It's it was perfect. perfect. It and then is. you go from that really yeah. sort of old battered Tom mm. into this like it just makes Davison seem even fresher and like mm. younger and more like yeah. cleaner. Going back to the Watcher, yes. What do we think? Ah. Mm. Uh, I've always loved. I've always loved it. I love it. I, I didn't, love it. didn't understand it at all when I was a kid. No. I just figured it was kind of like a future, a mysterious kind of future incarnation of the Doctor, it, which which is kind of what he is. It's something that hasn't been repeated since. Yeah. Uh, and Steve, you you were talking to me about it yesterday, and you actually made a lot of sense. Um, the idea that um, the so, timeline of yeah, so cataclysmic is, are the events yeah. that are that are taking place in this that the fu- story that. Uh, the future's disrupted. The past is disrupted. Yeah. Um, the, there's a reason there why a future, the next regeneration from the future mm. of a Time Lord could actually be following 
So, so you think it's like it's such a, a, a big one, a big regeneration and mm. a cataclysmic one that he's sort of come in to steady the steady the ship yeah. and make the, sure it all goes well? I think well. there is that in a narrative sense, but also there's two other aspects that are drawn on here. So initially, the, the first thing that comes to mind from a Doctor Who perspective is the figure of Cho Jay and Kanpo Rinpoche from Planet of the Spiders, where oh, the old yeah. man is revealed to be the young man and when he dies, he regenerates into the younger man. Yes. So I think there's an allusion there to that previous regeneration story. Mm. I think, though, one of the other things that Bidmead does, he's a very well-read man, you see, mm. and, and, and we'll get into this later on, but there's this sense that the order of the universe is so disturbed, mm-hmm. and much like in, say, for instance, Hamlet, where the murder of the king sort of disturbs the, the kingdom of, of Denmark, sure. we have the presaging of that, that chaos through the ghost. And I think there's a similar sort of mm. uh, you know, parallel here to, to The Watcher as well, this ethereal ghostly figure mm. who stalks the, the scenes, mm. You know, there's a portentous aspect to it that, you know, the end is nigh. Something terrible is about to happen. Yeah, because even though in the story's timeline it hasn't happened yet, it has in fact happened. Yes. <laughs> so therefore, things are disrupted. The past is disrupted. The future is disrupted. Yeah, and this, this is perfectly understood through that exact same prism. You know, yeah. the timey-wimey thing that uh, David Tennant's Doctor talks about in, uh, in, in Blink, you know, that time exists as a totality, but when we see it from our point of view and through our eyes, it's a subjective, linear fashion. Uh, and I've always loved that concept that yeah. all time has happened and is happening all at, all at the same time. time. Time is relative. Humans yeah. can only view it linearly exactly. from start to finish. And I just always loved that. It blew my mind, that concept, the first time I learned it. Mm. So I, I love that. For all of those reasons, I love the, the, the conception of the Watcher and it's oh. such a creepy... Yeah. <laughs> but not not in a sort of not like evil way, just in a in a very oh gosh. How would you describe it? It's it's spiritual. It's yeah. um, benevolent, ethereal, mm. benevolent, benevolent, absolutely yeah. benevolent. Weird thing about it is, I was thinking when I was watching the show, when I was watching Logopolis last week, I was thinking, oh, now if, imagine being seeing this through a viewer's new eyes. Yeah. Imagine this the first time it's been on it's on television. Sure. A lot of viewers, because obviously everyone knows it's Tom's last. What are we thinking the Watcher is when we first start seeing him? We, we might know that the Master's coming back. Do we think it's the Master mm. somehow? Do we? Th- That's know? intimated as well, yeah. yeah. Be- well, it is because we didn't know at this stage that he'd taken Nissa's father's body, did we? No, exactly right. And, and Adric leads to that conclusion as well, so we're, we're almost half... Uh, you know, encouraged to do to do the same thing, mm. um, but yeah, there is that element of I'll be able to trust this figure. You know, the Doctor mm. is seen in long shot there on that bridge over, mm, overlooking Battersea to be arguing with him. That's so mm. important. I feel mm. like um, it the, really the is the part where because 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 it seems like it always seemed to me as a kid to be just a mysterious future version of the Doctor who's come back to um to, to do what? Who knows? I don't mm. know. Up to help with your generation or whatever. But yeah. the fact that the Doctor talks to him on the bridge and we don't get in on that conversation exactly. is so important and it mm. sort of adds to the mystery, but it also kind of it kind of gives you that, that strange feeling what well, you can see it on his face that Tom Tom's Doctor knows he kind of knows from that point what's going to happen. Like mm. he may have mm-hmm. an idea that he's going to die and be regenerated. Yes. And can, I think he does. I, I, I think you can really see it when he, like I said before when he was dangling on that, that, that cable and yeah. you see that last shot of him yeah. swinging with yes. that haunting face. It's like he knows it's now. It's, yeah. it's happening I, right now. I've always loved that and I've never I, I feel like the show maybe doesn't like just the just the show on its own, and if you're watching it for the first time, it might be doesn't explain it fully. But I've never had a problem with that, no. and I felt like as a kid, I, it, it 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 gave me enough to keep me hanging and want to kind of want to know, but kind of be alright with the mystery because I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, I, I was the same I, I, as a teenager watching Logopolis. I, I I was always a little bit confused by that. He, the Watcher, he was the Doctor all along. It might seem silly, but I didn't really grasp it. Right now, but that moment of dawning realization. 
Oh God, that's clever. When he joins together <laughs> at the end into the, yeah, it's just how cool. clever is that? And again, it's not something that something we've often said about some of the best parts of Doctor Who. It doesn't necessarily even need to be in the story, but mm. it just adds that sort of level yeah. of richness, and it's really it's great. I'll say it again: it's a mood piece. Yeah, it's it's funereal in every aspect of the word. Because he's so solemn, the 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 figure of the watcher. Yeah. Well, he's what he's he's watching over, and he's he's guiding events to to where they need to be. Mm. I just want to know what they said on that bridge. I'd love to know. <laughs> I want to know what he sounds like. Yeah. Know what he, does he, he sound like Davison? High pitched little voice, yeah. little ghost voice. <laughs> like the Mr. Burns. So, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Burns. so yeah, he's the gestation of Davison. Yeah, the, in essence, yeah. yeah. But played by Adrian Gibbs, who was yeah. a dancer, right? Ballet dancer? Yes. Odd. Odd. Their, their job is to, to move their body to. You know. Odd choice to give that to a, a role that just sort of stands there. Stand, and, stand there and waves. Like, I think you said to... yesterday that it's he's overcast. Yeah. Oh, on, the, on, the, on the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's overcasting. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I can understand it. I mean, if oh, you've for, got. For what cap- it's worth, he did a fantastic job. Yeah, I job. thought so yeah. too. Um, you know, we have Christopher Gable, who is a dancer who plays Shara's Jack um, mm. in a, you know, a mask and a suit that very much constricts his movement. It's only through, um, you know, the slightest of facial, re- you know, ticks and whatever else and speech that he can communicate. Well, Adrian Gibbs has got even less than that. It is just actually his movements um, yeah. that he can communicate. All of those things that you were talking about, that sort of solemnity, that, that you know, ethereal nature, the the, the importance of the events that are, that are going to come that he sort of presages and, and heralds yeah. um, you get that I think from his performance yeah he, be- he beckons forth like a pro <laughs> he does yeah. he does and Steve as we were t- as we were talking about The Watcher we also mentioned the return of the master yeah big thing yeah, in this huge. story massive yeah, yeah. how long it's... has he been gone for well, the last time we saw him was Trark and Keeper of Trark in the previous story. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, but if you exclude this trilogy, which concludes with Castrovalva, the previous time was the Deadly Assassin, mm. but it was not the master that we no. are familiar with. That was the decayed and... It's kind of a transitory... The Grim yeah, Reaper. the Grim Reaper, which I think is a fantastic and horrific image. I yeah. think it really works in that story. But Is it his evil that, that keeps him alive? I yes, his, and because his will. To be clear, yeah. is, is is he when he appears in the Deadly Assassin, is he's kind of at the end of his 13th he's generation? He's finished his 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Or his 12th. I, I think always, they say 12th. Sure, I always sure. took it to be Roger Delgado's incarnation as well. Like he has ah. he's just held on and held on. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously the casting of Anthony only is meant to physically sort of recall and, 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 and um, evoke... The sort of Delgado bearded, dark yeah. master. He, a, yeah, yeah. A strange collared suit. Mm, yes, <laughs> I, yeah. I like that collar. I do like I've that collar. I've always loved it. It's very Shakespearean. I'm going to say evoking Delgado's image, but bringing a bit more of the maniacal madman into it. I mean, Ooh, yeah. far out. There's a couple of. Maniacal is a great word. I think that's a, a word that Bidmead. Maniacal, Bidmead'd... I apologize. <laughs> maniacal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a word that Bidmead uses on the back of his uh, novelization for Castrovalva as well. And that's what I get from this um, portrayal by Anthony Ainley. He, here is an absolutely unhinged, cold, calculating genius of a man who's also utterly, utterly mad and evil. And that, that really comes across in, in Legopolis yeah. and also to an extent in Castrovalva. I think they lose it later on and he becomes a bit of a panto villain. Mm. But here in, in, in Anthony Ainley's first turn as the master... Absolutely brilliant, and you know, and the the pleasure he gets from everything going according yeah. to plan. Mm-hmm. He's just chuckling in the background. <laughs> I do like, love how yeah. much of a good time Ainley. He's oh, having a great time. Ainley's I master. think that's J N T the control tower telling him to uh, to oh, ham a, it up, turn it up yeah. to ten, turn yeah. it up to ten, uh, Tony. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anthony, darling, more, <laughs> yeah, bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and but, uh, to his credit, he's having a scream. Yeah, but I think this one and Survival are his best performances. I would agree, and with largely that, yeah. because you know those sort of you know maniacal, you know cackling sessions aside, he actually does play it really cold and still. Oh, can I say that line? Go for it. When he's uh, when he reveals himself for oh, who he yeah. is for the very first time, his face changes. The line is, please remain where you are. I have it in my power to bring Legopolis to a complete halt. Yes. And that look on his face, far out. <laughs> he, he does it again a few times, particularly later on in part four, but obviously also with the uh, Peoples of the Universe, please attend carefully. Oh, yeah. That is such <laughs> an amazingly delivered line. I love line. how polite he is to yeah. the universe. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love when he appears to Nyssa in that cave. Oh, yeah. That's the bit I wanted to talk about as oh, well. Let's like, do it. Oh, Dan, yeah. please. It's yeah. so, it's so scared. It scared the crap out of me as a kid. I don't, I'm not sure I even knew who he was when he appeared the first time, but mm. I was just like, whoa, that is really scary. And his, his, his evil and smile the, in that light. The lighting. Now, yeah. there's maniacal. Yes. There's <laughs> maniacal for you. Oh, yeah, that creeps the hell out of me. <laughs> I would hate to see a version of my father sitting in the shadows grinning at me like that. Oh, yeah, because um, it's, it's, uh, he's taken Nyssa's father's body, right? Yeah. Mass so at this stage, she thinks it's him. But he's uh, didn't he? So he's obviously had a, a trim and a haircut. Yeah, and a dye job. Because <laughs> oh, I think she, she even says that something's happened. You're not the same. You look younger. You yeah, know. you look great, Dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should have changed. You should have done this years ago. <laughs> you, just, you finally started that paleo diet. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Ainley, I think he's a, he's brilliant. Uh, he is, yeah, it. yeah. It's this one and survival. I think that are his best performances yeah, and you, and as you, the master. You, and you used the word savage to, to describe his portrayal earlier. And survival, man, mm. that that scene at the end, the fight scene with mm. you know, l- like wielding the bone, <laughs> all that stuff, so cool with the glowing eyes and the fangs. Yeah, maybe that desperation of the master brings out the best in Anthony Ainley's portrayal of him. Mm. I think it really yeah. does work. Much it's, more so that sort of flabby middle in the 80s yeah. where he's... It's, whenever that carefully lacquered hair comes loose and it's flying around everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he does get bogged down in the, in the middle of his, his his time, doesn't he? A little bit. It's a lot of, you escaped from the last story. Mm. Yeah. It's, oh my God. And with on that note, <laughs> we still get one of those lines in Legopolis, don't we? <laughs> Do we get a you escaped from... So, you tried so we did escape from Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. In the commentary, amazing uh, Tom Baker. Yeah, he says. What is it? He's like, oh, I could have used that line a few times in my real life. It's like, we which just, is hilarious because what, what did you say? I just Steve? imagine him in a Weatherspoon's being sixty p short of a pint. You know, <laughs> someone's like, actually, sir, it's another sixty p. You're sixty p short there, sir. <laughs> So he did escape from Trump, and after all, <laughs> and that's how he gets out of paying the extra because they love it. It's yeah, <laughs> totally, it's absolutely. Just to act like an absent-minded, yeah, exactly. Wander away. It's like <laughs> it's great. Get away with anything if you just act mad enough. Which is hilarious because he because he, he refers to the Lockapolitans as um, muttering old codgers as well. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, in the commentary, he's like, look at these muttering old codgers. <laughs> he is great fun in the commentary face. He's, if you he's if a you, scream. If you get a chance, oh, sweet dog, very much worth. And you haven't oh, already given well it. Well worth it, Give it a well worth it and what I loved about it was we got um, not only did we get Tom and Janet in the commentary we also got Christopher H. Bittner yeah. who shed a mm. lot of light on a lot of yeah a lot of insights yeah. Yeah. it's fun yeah. he- having, hearing him one more time trying to sort of rein Tom Baker in the <laughs> <laughs> after having to do so on the studio floor yeah, yeah. Tom Baker getting a little inappropriate on in the commentary and, and me trying to trying to hold it down a little bit it was really good it was really funny I just want to go back to the master and ask you guys a question so um, do you think it is realistic 
as much as Doctor Who can be, that the master knew exactly where the Doctor was going to dematerialize or materialize rather mm. on Barnet Bypass. Because okay. this whole thing sort of stems from the fact that we have the TARDIS within a TARDIS within a TARDIS conundrum. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about the recursive TARDIS. You're saying is it plausible? Yeah. Oh, I guess if it, this is tough. Well, this is what it. This is what it's. It's based on this. This idea that he's he knows exactly what's going on and he's and he's following the Doctor. Yeah, I, th- I think it sort of comes from the Keeper of Traken, and this is like my own head canon here. But like, it makes total sense because if he had that power of you know the Keeper of Traken, he'd be able to sort of see where the Doctor sort of goes next after that point, and he's able to set a trap for yeah, him before okay. he even gets there. Hey, look, if you if you've got a Time Lord tracking another Time Lord, that's just sort of a double a double mm. loop because you know, I suppose if you're a Time Lord tracking another Time Lord, you just kind of pop into the future, see where he goes, <laughs> pop back, and then get there before he gets sure. there. Sure. And doesn't the Doctor say uh, make some sort of reference that they're like, you mean he can read your mind? And he's like, well, he is a Time Lord. Like, In many ways, we share the same mind. Yeah. That's right. Oh, wow. so, yeah, yeah, which is a nice reference, I think, back to the Matrix in The Deadly Assassin. And again, this I think this is a bit mean going back and mining the sort of you know totemic. Uh, you know, very sort of powerful uh, stories between the Master and the Doctor. The TARDIS within the TARDIS within a TARDIS mm. actually comes from the Time Monster, that sort of resolution in Part 6 where you have the whole it. nonsense right. with Time Rand. I love it. So I don't, whether it's plausible or not that he would be there, I don't care. Because, because we got that. I love this recursive TARDIS. Uh, oh, we were so talking about cool. it before, how, yeah. how he, he materialises around a police box and it ends up being mm-hmm. the Master's TARDIS. And he ends up going in, and it's it's another version of the TARDIS control it's console so room. Good. And it, with the lighting, man, the lighting is the lighting, so, the lighting cool. is everything in this yeah. because it's a sort of dimmed down TARDIS. They're both you, you immediately. It's not an action scene. It's not. There's no shock. Mm. You immediately they walk in, and you immediately know something's wrong. Doesn't yeah. matter if you're a kid yeah. or an adult. So true. No you, action, but there's an atmosphere. You know something's wrong, and the yeah. Doctor is worried. He is seriously worried, and that is a big red flag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is something that I think is a personal preference that you know maybe our sweet dog have sort of realized already is that the conceptual horror aspects of something like that being you know trapped within an infinite recursive uh, loop rather is so much more terrifying to me than you know Mm. green monsters or or daleks or cybermen well the idea that you'd never get out of it that you'd be there forever exactly and that terrified me much more so as a kid like you take something as safe uh, and welcoming and comforting, I guess, as the TARDIS interior and the exterior. You put them into one shot, mm. and through the lighting yeah. and the Doctor's reaction, you make it sinister. You take that and you subvert it, and you make it into something that is, uh, you know, potentially the most dangerous thing you, ever, which is, uh, you know, never finding your way out of that loop. Lost in that loop, turning, turning the familiar into something terrifying. Yeah, That's yeah. What they do exactly really, yeah. right. This, this period of Doctor the, light, the lighting gets darker the deeper they go in that. as well. It's kind so of like a cool. descent yeah. into like hell or into into evil because yeah. it's the Master's Titus. I'm, I'm going to say that a lot of the lighting in Legopolis is fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the choice or decision to um, shoot the Faros Project Tower. At sunrise, yeah, how beautiful oh, yeah. did that look? Looks great, doesn't it? Yeah, there's there's a you know the sequence of that sort of the rose gold sort of shining in the early yeah. morning light. Um, it's similarly done also on the, the sequence near Battersea Power Station where you know the Thames is very calm. It's early morning. Mm. The sun is refracting off the the water and mm. onto the doesn't onto that look the great? Tardis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really looks oh, beautiful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But yeah, in in particular the the Pharos um, scenes in. Um, on Earth, uh, on, on Earth, on, on in Part Four, mm. I, I like to think, by the way, that it's the Beacon Hill Research Center that we saw in Terror of the Autons. Oh my God! I'd like for that to be the case, complete gonna... with uh, replacement Gooch. <laughs> yeah, egg, egg, yeah. Egg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
the guy who's listening to um, like classical music and conducting and stuff on yeah. his headphones or whatever. All he needs is a boiled egg. He, all he needs is a boiled egg <laughs> and, and a lunchbox. <laughs> Somehow gets knocked out. What happens to that guy? He gets knocked out because the doctor what? spins him out of the way of the master's weapon. And but he, what mm, happens to him? He just gets knocked he, out and that's I it. Just, yeah, he's unconscious. We are to assume that he hit his head on something kept falling out of his chair. I and guess. he's just yeah. out for the next 20 minutes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I, I think that's a more palatable fate than being stuffed into your lunchbox. I got a lot of... Uh, notes of autons actually for sure in these scenes yeah um even the even the the security the armed security they, they look like autons from a distance oh the police oh. Uh, yeah. the police yeah. sort of, uh, yeah. that, and that's barry letts changing your <laughs> changing you and your life and your perceptions permanently by yeah. making policemen scary the first time <laughs> so it's, it's so brilliant yeah. he, made, he made policemen look like autons in your mind forever that's right <laughs> and, oh my god and we touched on that when we did terror of the autons yeah. that is so true Far out. Um, but you're right. There's those scenes where they're sort of running around on the grass under the t- under the the yeah um, under bit the of cat and mouse yeah yeah master running around which you should never really make the master run I don't think you know <laughs> no. he's too dignified yeah too dignified <laughs> Ainley pulls it off I think but it's a little weird I was worried Tom wouldn't pull it off in, um, in that huge scarf but uh, he looks great yeah there's a there's that wonderful shot where it's uh, you know Tom Baker's doctor in the maroon. Uh, there's Tegan in the purple and the master in the black hiding yeah, behind yeah. that. Uh, yeah, the, the woodshed sort <laughs> yeah. of structure, yeah. It's, it's a really striking image. This is June Hudson, who's the costume designer. She does an incredible job, basically every story that she does, but particularly here in the design of the the companions and the master. But also she was the one responsible way back at the beginning of season 18 in designing Tom Baker's sort of monochromatic maroon uh, outfit so as this, well. the switch from the sort of multicolored scarf mm. of, of fame to yes. the to this weird mm-hmm. sort of like super wide which i love <laughs> i maroon, love tumbling maroon scarf and you had like a little story about that didn't you like mm. the, it was meant to be two scarves oh is that right it was in the commentary i believe janet fielding was saying that um her costume designer friend stuffed up oh okay it was, it was meant to get two scarves made um ended up getting one giant one, one giant scarf and was you know and was shitting herself uh, over having to show Tom Baker. <laughs> and apparently he loved it. Yeah, he had, and he, had, he was none the wiser. Thank God so, for that. Yeah. Uh, all the way down to those maroon boots. Uh, it's oh, just a great outfit. Which are, which are Tom's, actually. So oh, yeah. he was meant to have shoes. And they're the shoes that we see in Castro Valva. But uh, he no, thought, Baker no, I'm going to wear these uh, knee-high leather boots instead. Baker should, always have, he should always have boots. You should uh, never agree, put Tom definitely. Baker in shoes. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> uh, what I really love about that, I think it's a beautifully designed costume. I'm just going to talk about is. the maroon outfit for a mm. second. We see in Megalos the beautiful like green lining on the inside of that oh, coat. Wow. I yeah. love the collar. Like mm. It's so wide and it kind of looks a little bit ridiculous, but the scarf obviously sort of sits well, on that, top of yeah, that. Yeah, the scarf sits over the top yeah it's really cool but a few, little while ago on twitter some genius sort of had a mock-up of what that would look like if worn up the oh. collar would worn up <laughs> oh. and you just have to think about it anything that wide with a, that yeah. wide lapel yeah. would actually look like a time oh. lord <laughs> oh uh, my god little, um, <laughs> like a like a like a gallifreyan yeah um headpiece yeah like exactly right oh my god yeah that's hilarious i love that <laughs> i love that too how could you not love that and also the Logopolitans, like I just think they look great. Oh wow! With yeah. uh, and especially the Monitor, played by the incredible John Fraser. John Fraser. I just think the the jewel. He was brilliant. He was the jewel. The the sort of all the jewelry that he's got on. He's got a ring on each delicately gloved finger, and like <laughs> uh, and just Logopolitans, great with their sort of brain heads and um, mm. their their robes. They're very kind of um, 
Well, kind of funereal again, a little bit. Yeah, the, the, I, the sort of monastic order, isn't it? Yeah. The, 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 there's so much we could say about this. Look, I don't know if we want to get into it right now, but if we were confine ourselves to John Fraser as oh, well. please. Mm. Just the diction, that perfect voice that he has. You know, speaking those sort of Shakespearean lines that Bidmead gives him as well. He yeah. really does... He shines. He, he nails really it. Yeah. Uh, he na- nails it. But, you know, there's that sort of... There's actually very, very few lines between him and Tom Baker. Mm. But I buy the fact that they've been friends at some sort of cosmic level for centuries, if not millennia. Yeah. I feel the weight, yeah. the yeah. weight yes. between them. And probably because they're just both actors of a similar generation. Oh. And, and gravitas as yeah. well. <laughs> probably fighting to be the one with the most gravitas <laughs> for a competition. But he's just so... He's so uh, so charming, mm. and uh, even his death scene, which is horrifying, it is. Uh, he just kind of melts away into the a CSO. His face, hey? Yeah, he just yeah. sort of turns away and spins into this sort of like grand I um, go Shakespearean into yeah. the beyond. <laughs> yeah, Shakespearean sort of death death pose. It's yes, so good. And what a handsome fellow, man! That's a handsome old, a handsome gentleman. Matinee idol. Yeah, you said he was like Matinee a matinee idol in his youth. He was yeah, like a, very much so. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, you can definitely feel that sort of. Uh, Grandier. <laughs> oh, he was gorgeous. He's, he's so wonderful, definitely. Okay. Um, I love the conception of the the character of the monitor himself yeah. as well. Yeah, um, he's a sad figure in a way. Very lonely, I would mm. imagine. But I also kind of this is again headcanon uh, entering into my headcanon territory. I like to think that the logopolitans themselves are the products of block transfer computation because. Yeah. That kind of... I uh, like this. I you like were saying this. this and I didn't quite get it, but I it sounds it. interesting. Yeah. Go, go, go. Okay, so if you have beings who essentially do nothing other than calculate and intone those calculations, uh, reasons for which we will get into in a little bit, um, you forego so much of what, I guess, what we understand life is, you know, and, and, and family and friends and, and mm. fun and, you know, no laughing and all the rest of it that Tegan sort of points to when she she makes her sweatshop comment. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's unsustainable for any living creature that you know hasn't evolved n- naturally to sort of do so. So in my head canon, they are uh, the results of block transfer computations that have been you know sprung forth in the same way that we get in Castrovalva with the characters sure. oh, in, that, in, yeah. in 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 the, in the citadel there. Yeah. So you think they're literally manifest physical manifestations of uh, mathematical calculations? Yeah, for the purpose of sustaining those calculations wow. themselves. I love that. So yeah. you don't think that they work in shifts and each one goes home to no, a family no, at the end of the no, day? No, I think they. Oh, that was a hard day's muttering. <laughs> they've oh. got the, They've got. Where's those, my dinner? They've got those weird little hive sections along the corridors yes. where they sit in there and they and they do their chanting from there speaking of which that design is absolutely glorious because mm. we can see it see it right from that first shot right yeah, yeah. so the, the tardis sort of again an overhead shot from um grim wade mm-hmm. um you know sort of floating in space in the space above immediately above the, yeah. the, the logopolitan sort of settlement with oh. that beautiful overhead shot of um of the TARDIS looking down to Legopolis and, and that gorgeous yeah. dish in the background as that, well. That dish is so important because it sets up because it's a, yeah. a, a copy of the Faris project. Mm. Like once when we get mm. to the Faris project on Earth, we know what's we know what it is. Yeah. We know what's going on. Like it sets it up perfectly. It's yeah. just like one, and two, three, bam. And on that note, could they use block transfer computation to recreate? Yes, the yes, yes, project yes, absolutely. On Legopolis. Yeah. I want to call Legopolis a brain hive. That's what it looks like. But that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So the consistency of the, the walls and the citadel sort of have this... The membranous um, 
sort of pink. Like they had like the, the veins and the yeah, exactly right. Almost. So you get like, that sort of carmine seams, which are sort of you know, approximations of the arteries and the veins yeah. uh, within the brain. Yeah, and the brain itself sort of being that sort of porridge rose kind of mm. uh, color that we have as individual well. Individual cells, which and are the, the individual cells, which are brain as well, which are the logopolitans. And then from overhead, it looks very brain-like. It definitely does. And of course, why is that the case? Well, because you know, logopolis is an analog for a computer. Um, you know, the monitor is the monitor that you have of a computer. The That's registers, right. <laughs> uh, you know, being the registers of a uh, of a computer. The the subroutines and the codes, and mm. that in a very analog way with the with their abacuses. The, I love this. The monks of Logopolis mm. essentially are the ones that are the bits and the bytes that calculate each of the um, you know the, the codes and and mutter into existence. The um, and that, so essentially, what they're doing with block transfer computations is they are protecting existence through the use of mathematics mm. just oh. by muttering it's like They're it's almost, almost incantations yeah. yeah i've always loved this idea that we find out in this horrible moment that uh from the monitor that the universe should have di- should have crumbled into nothing mm. from oh. entropy long ago so the universe Let's... is effectively long past its death point yeah which is amazing but then the fact that they're holding it together by muttering mathematics on one planet and like he says Logopolis is the keystone yes. that holds the universe together mm. is yeah. so great and it's just mm. such a cool idea to like I love the I just love the idea it's such a simple idea that the universe is being held together by mathematics it's great it's it's so clever so 11 year old version of me is, is having you know spine chilling moments at this point the idea and let's unpack this I guess so the universe has passed the point of its natural heat death and the entropy will have claimed this closed system that is the universe yeah and that in order to prevent that the logopolitans have essentially punched holes through the walls of the universe through which entropy which we should define as the waste energy of, an, yep. of a closed system can escape in in the novelization uh, Christopher Bidvid has a beautiful sentence it reads mm. something along the lines of entropy being or entropy is the rust on the wheel the weeds in the vegetable garden, the oh. heat that eats away at the components of a computer. I just think that's so that's lyrical, great. so beautiful. It is, and it, and it describes it perfectly. Yeah. I love that. And I love it, that. It's very clever. It's great. But, I, you know, just the, you know, prepubescent version of myself sort of going away and reading, you know, Maxwell's second law of thermodynamics where entropy increases, this mm. idea that, uh, in in this case, the universe has passed that mm. point, and if it's past that point, that's so terrifying, to isn't me. it? Though, yeah. because it speaks to what will eventually be the natural heat death of the universe, which is where every single atom in the entire universe has expended its energy, and we live in a cold, dark, grey, empty nothingness, mm. and that terrifies me far more yeah. than Cybermen and Daleks. Yeah. So the log- logopolitans then, uh, you know, have have created this interim solution where entropy as a waste product is able to escape this closed system, thereby prolonging the natural or prolonging beyond the natural point the, the life of the universe, which I mm. think is incredibly... Mm heroic and noble and uh, they're actually working on an advanced sort of solution to this which obviously the master um the work of the master means that you know they'll never get to that um i think i I like the fact that it was it all went over the master's head and he was yeah he he even said don't insult my intelligence (laughs) with this garbage and it's like yeah no dude you don't you didn't get it so he's killing logopolitans for a different reason well, he, he wants that. to. Yeah, he wants to find out what that secret is. He doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't know what the secret is, and then when he's confronted with it, he doesn't understand. Mm. But to go back to the Logopolitans for just a brief moment, I think it's an incredibly uh, stoic representation of what these people are. Yeah. So, in the form of the Monitor, in particular, I think what you have is these are people who, or this is a race who is entirely sort of in tune with the divinity of number, and there's that sort of Pythagorean aspect to them. 
at the same time they're holding back the forces of darkness and and devastation and that's like Leonidas and the and the few Spartans at the pass of Thermopylae mm-hmm. against the Persians holding you know, back the tide holding back the tide it's a, mm-hmm. and and they do so for for no other reason than that self-sacrifice means that others are able to continue i think it's a really beautiful moving sort of uh, conception of them particularly when it sort of echoes that that sort of greek you know pythagorean and, and spartan um Illusions. That's part of what makes the monitor kind of sad because he's been plugging away with no yeah. with no want for thanks for, yeah, for, no. for God knows how long. Well, no one must know. You no. know and secret Logopolis yeah. must yeah. be kept. Thanks, a, thanks wouldn't even enter his mind either. Yeah. What mm. a secret to have to keep, and then mm. and then to have it all sent awry by a couple of, by a few <laughs> Logopolitans because the master doesn't understand what's going on. It's so yeah. sad. Yeah, yeah. so sad. But um, the block transfer computations. If you want to get onto that at this point, gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so what do we understand about this? Like, how how do we conceive of block transfer computations and and what they they mean or refer to? I got nothing. I have no I idea. I feel like we've already done that. But, um, <laughs> haven't we already done that? It feels like you're setting us up to tell us what it is. Yeah, well, I think you should just do it. <laughs> go for it. No, go on. All right, let me get my notes out at this point yeah, because I'm, this I'm, is, I'm leaving all that in, by the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your, so what's your take on uh, block transfer computation? All right, so th- this is, might take some time, but here we go. <laughs> um, so, so the monitor talks about block transfer computation being a complex discip- discipline rather, way beyond the capabilities of simple machines and that they require the subtleties of the, of the living mind. So they can't be run on computers. And the reason for that is because oh, the code itself yeah. would change the very sure. nature of the computer. This talks to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, essentially mm-hmm. quantum physics, right? And the idea that... Uh, a living mind, in this case, the logopolitan living mind, is the only thing that could sort of take uh, these these numbers. I find this fascinating. Isn't it amazing? Okay, so, and that's also very doc- very old school Doctor Who. That it's the, also, the human mind is more important than the computer. I might add, it also kind of supports your theory that the logopolitans themselves are block, block transfer, transfer computations. computations. Yeah, I, I think it does. So, the monitor goes on to say, our manipulation of numbers directly changes the physical world. There is no other mathematics like ours. So what Mm. is this mathematics? I actually think, and there's a lot of people who have sort of come before me who have lit the way around this, it's that it's a form of alchemy, it's a form of magic, that block transfer computations, in fact, have a rich history uh, with respect to what is known as, I guess, Kabbalah. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, Elizabeth Sandifer has an incredible entry on the TARDIS Ereditorum blog uh, for the Gopolis around this. So essentially, it's the, it's the perfected method for transmogrifying uh, any state of matter into another. That's alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. And it, it actually comes from uh, sort of that Kabbalistic uh, tradition of the Judaic faith. So it's, it's thought to predate like the great monotheistic desert religions, but it, it kind of emerges and formalizes in, uh, in mi- Middle Ages Spain as a form of mysticism. Um, and it takes this base, the notion essentially of that first uh, opening to the... Um, to the Bible, which is in Genesis, where God creates things through his commandment. And the first sort of very famous opening to the to that book of Genesis is in the beginning there was the word and the word was God. Now that actually comes from that that translation of the King James actually comes from uh, originally the Greek. And that word is not word in the Greek, it is logos. <laughs> and <laughs> How does he do this? Bring, he does it every we're time. We're bringing it home now. He's, Steve's bringing it home. We're going to stop interrupting him. <laughs> so, so essentially, Logopolis is polis for the Greek word of city. So this is the city of the word. 
And the word being essentially the word that transcribes and brings into matter the universe. Um, so they've discovered this secret. The Logopolitans are then basically an analogue of those Kabbalistic scholars. And they draw on the secrets of these words, you know, through that Pythagorean conception of the divinity of number and that hexadecimal code to the universe that basically holds everything together and holds at bay the forces of destruction like Leonidas at the pass, as I say. Mm. So there is this incredible mystical aspect to Logopolis as well. Incredibly potent in the sense that this is the last story, a story about death, a story of the death of the universe in many regards, and billions we see uh, are laid to waste in that part four, but obviously the death of the Doctor too. So we have this incredible, I think wonderful fusing of the the sort of alchemical and the chemistry of the physical and the metaphysics in this story christopher bidmead isn't just someone who writes hard science i think that's a cop-out i think it's something that people level as at season 18 that doesn't quite understand that sort of thematic underscoring of entropy as being there right from the beginning all the way through and culminates in that shot of tom underneath the radio telescope wow man i didn't even (laughs) I don't know how you do it, but you do it. <laughs> that was the best bring, home. That's that the was best the bring the it on home you've ever done. <laughs> bring it on home is the best name for that segment. <laughs> and now it's time for Steve to bring it bring on it home. home. Excellent. Oh, I, man. I have to admit, this, this is not my work. This is not my own, like, my own sort of it's conceptualizing your, It's your this. research. It's, no, it's, it's out there. Sandifer has got this. It appears in, in uh, Tapwood and Lawrence Miles' About Time series as well. It really articulates, I guess, that sense that as an 11-year-old reading that novelization, something else here. I understand the story. I can go away into the school library and read mm. more about the second law of thermodynamics and what entropy means. But that elusive quality, I guess, that Log- Logopolis haunts us with, you know, and has done for decades, mm. that is, what I guess, what speaks to it. There's something incredibly deep about this story, and I love it. It's oh. always left me with, like, these images of, like, death, and mm. decay, like decay is like obviously the, one of the like entropy is the main theme of the, yeah. the whole story. Yeah, and of the whole season from Truck and well, especially from Truck and through to Castro Valva, like decay mm. and, yeah. and rebirth. But like that's the thing I've always remembered about this story. This this that that left with me this this idea that everything is always crumbling. Everything is everything mm. is decaying all the time, and yeah. there's no way to stop it. Or yeah, it. time is ephemeral, mm. and it falls through our hands like sand. And like, the, and the, like the the ultimate um, representation of that in this story is like you mentioned before that horrifying section where the the idea to me as the the monitor was talking about it uh, happening when they stop making their calculations, mm. the entropy they've been holding back, the decay they've been holding back is going to catch up and yep. it's going to obliterate the the galaxy or the universe. Actually, is what they kind of try to show on that TARDIS yes. scanner. Mm, yeah, but like yep. even and before you see it on the screen on the TARDIS scanner. Just the idea in my head, I think when I read the novelization or when I, when I watched the story, was just imagining vast swathes of like, yeah, like galaxies and, and solar systems just winking out the billions of trillions upon trillions of people whose lives just ended like, like that. that. Yep. Uh, is, it just blew my mind mm. and horrified me, probably more than, more than most sort of MacGuffins or, yep. or uh, antagonists. Bug-eyed monsters. Yeah, yeah, it's scarier than any of them. And like you get to see a kind of representation of it on the TARDIS screen where you see that mm. sort of black that black arm sort of moving through and the, the stars winking out. Mm. Uh, that, that brings us to that uh, scene with Nyssa. Yeah. Oh, Sarah Sun. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't she do an Isn't incredible job? Uh, well, she sees Traken 
wink That's out. That's amazing to see your home system, not only your home planet and everything yeah. around it, just wink out. Wait, like, what does she say? She says, where's Trakan? I can't see Trakan. I can't even see Matilla Orionsis. The master killed my stepmother. And then my father. And now the world that I grew up in. Rotted out forever. And Adric sort of comes out, oh, truck, and it's right there. And he's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Cola, finger in collar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not there. And yeah, she was amazing in that yeah. She's one of her best moments. Can, I just, really add, can I just add one thing? I f***ing <laughs> love this story. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So that's good. it. Man. Uh, but yeah, it's like that's the hugest like body count. The hugest oh, moment of right. horror. Yeah, the, and, and the biggest moment of horror, I think, in any story and at the end they can't bring those star systems no. back and i feel like in the new in the new show like oh. there might be he might the, the, he'll press, push a button or do some kind of deus ex machina and with, it'll all be reset with all respect to say Stephen moffat because i love him yeah of course um yeah absolutely i feel like it would be reversed and everything would be and it would in like five minutes yeah it'd be like, oh is that simple oh it's you only had to switch that switch <laughs> there, there's definitely stakes here and as i say like the the entropic theme that runs throughout season 18 culminates and has to pay off in that way where mm. essentially the doctor dies but also billions with him as well um before he's able to save the day and he himself is able to you know save himself and regenerate the there's you know, just to sort of go back to through season 18, there's also this sense of order and disorders. And this is something that we definitely get in Legopolis. But it also comes through in things like, you know, Megalos, where, you know, religion and, and that, um, uh, you know, the breakdown of, of that societal order comes through. State of Decay has that feudal structure holding back knowledge and process. Uh, the Keeper of Traken is an incredibly Shakespearean conception of essentially the infinite chain of being being disrupted upon the death of the Keeper, or if you like, the death, death of the King. We talked about Hamlet before when that happens, all hell is unloosed yeah, yeah. until order is restored. This same thing happens again here in Legopolis. The disorder, the chaos, the destruction of entropy is unleashed. Billions and ponds, trillions of ponds, yeah, yeah, die. Unimaginable number. And and it comes to claim the life of the Doctor as well. Um, it, it needs. It, there's that sort of uh, sort of build up, I guess, throughout season eighteen. Yeah. And we do get that payoff in the Goblins. Oh, do we ever? It's just so huge, and the fact that they can't, they don't reverse it at the end of it. Like there's a giant black sort of mm. arm of the universe where there once was, was presumably and, teeming with life it's yeah, gone yeah, forever yeah. and not only that but Tom has gone forever too yeah like it's very and fun. the master gets warned of that too by the monitor he's like you can't reverse that yeah it's scary but they do, <laughs> they do well, they? Yeah. yeah like I was saying about Deus Ex Machina I guess they do stop the, what, the, the well they hold it at bay but they don't bring back those planets and no, those isn't no. it horrible so yeah. Tra- Traken's gone forever yeah that's what I was left with go home. that's yeah. what I was left with as a kid when I finished that third novelization I was like mm. that's they didn't fix it they didn't turn back exactly. the tide mm. you can't bring back something that's been mm. like just fallen to pieces and decayed yeah. and gone because yeah, it's right. gone it's gone it's horrible gentlemen I want to point out something really important to our sweet dorks at this moment in time we have got so many notes and things littered around us at this stage we've got stuff stuck up on the wall with blue tack we've got sheets of paper in front of us with all points of interest and conjecture that we wanted to talk about i'd like to introduce a new segment to the podcast it's called uh, let's cover what we forgot <laughs> it's always gonna happen it's Let's Cover What We Forgot with your hosts, Daniel, Stephen and Colin. <laughs> Gentlemen, what did we forget? Oh. Can you just sing it as well? <laughs> sing it? Yeah, just sing, just sing something. Go. Um, I'll add it in. Go. 
It's Let's Cover What We Forgot with your hosts, Daniel, Stephen, and Carl. All right. Well, Gentlemen, Stephen, what did we forget? Steve, you wanted to, what was yours? I think one of the things that we forgot that we probably should have picked out pretty early on mm-hmm. was a really lovely paralleling of the way in which the TARDIS and the cloister room is sort of falling to bits. Yeah. The chameleon circuit isn't working. Things aren't as tight a ship as it used to be, perhaps. Bucket of bolts. Bucket of bolts. And that, they're very much the same with uh, Aunt Vanessa's car. Of the course, way the course, dinged up, beat up, Gloriously Bucket of bolts. And it's a bucket of bolts. Isn't that a beautiful sort of parallel, the Tiny, way in yeah. which the you know entropic forces that are claiming the TARDIS and, the, and very much the same for, for the car as well. And when we look at it like this, on that note, We've already mentioned Nissa gets her due. Hmm. Adric gets his due in this story. Tegan gets hers. With the, I feel like this is a great way to bring her in by paralleling her and Aunt Vanessa yeah. in the car with the Doctor and Adric in the TARDIS. I think yeah. you're right. Um, we have the mentor-mentee thing. that yeah. you've, You coined that one, Steve. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, we obviously... We were talking before about how Adric has more space, particularly in that first episode in a bit, with the Doctor and, and the, the character hmm. um, very much sort of... He's probably at his best uh, at that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, again, mentor-mentee relationship between the two of them. I think there's that you know, sort of familial um, mentor-mentee thing going on with Aunt Vanessa and yeah. Tegan as well. <laughs> a lot less serious. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Without yet being a member of the TARDIS team, we get great character play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does a number of things. Obviously, it sets her up as a very strong, sort of independent uh, young woman. She doesn't want to mm. go to the garage. She wa- she'll be ripped off by the mechanic, she says. Yeah. That. She's There's no wheel. night errands. It's the 1980s. I love that yeah. she's going to wheel that wheel all the way to the yeah. service station. Yeah, and it's great. Like you said, before she's even in the TARDIS, like J&T and Bidmead are bringing her in and making us like her. And also care for her because obviously, mm. you know, we see her um, with an aunt who that she very much gets along with. Mm. Uh, they kill off the aunt, which is, you know, uh, oh <laughs> perhaps typical Doctor Who. Um, it's but really dark. It yeah. is dark. And I love that that Tom. We've talked about Tom's doctor before, like the alien aspect to him. Oh yeah. And when he sort of says to Tegan, "I'm so sorry," and he sort of pats her awkwardly on the he shoulder. Does. And he doesn't he know what to her, do. And then he just lets her walk yeah. off in the background, and then he starts conspiring again. It's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, as you say, like we care we care for Tegan. As a result, she steps onto the the, the TARDIS as, as as fully fleshed a character as you can possibly get after twenty twenty five odd minutes. Mm. Uh, in the classic series of Doctor Who. Uh, I just love uh, what you were talking about before about them walking around the cloister room. I love that scene. Oh, my gosh. I, that, oh, yeah. that room is such a beautiful piece of design because until then, we've always the TARDIS has always been kind of a clinical space. Everything's white. Everything's quite clean. True. There's a little bit of lived-in feel to it, but mostly it's sort of white walls. Yeah, the lived-in feel's only dotted around with certain props. It's yeah, not, furniture. Um, it's not a big thing. So, and, yeah, like you were saying as well, Dan, earlier about the cloister room, you know, we, we, we know it's in the TARDIS. We get the roundels, we get the pillars, yes. mm. but it's stone. Yeah. It's not, you know... It's such a great idea. That's beautiful. And, and I'm going to say there's entropy in that room. Look at all the mm. moss. Look at all the decay. Look at the yeah. vines, the overgrown aspect to it. It's, the stone is crumbling. You know, Tom picks a, a piece of it away. Yeah, yeah that's right. He picks a piece, piece of it away. It's a, oh, it's and, such a cool... And it does feel like it's kind of outside, even though it's inside. Yeah, oh, I love that. Mm. The, the, the leaves on the ground and yeah. stuff. You've got yeah. the, the scattered leaves. Brings to mind a bit of the ill-fated Doctor Who movie. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the cloister room in that. I'm sure. There, there was a scene where leaves were blowing yeah. across yeah. the stone, the slate floor. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's accidental, yeah. Yeah. It, it evokes that cloister room that we see here in Legopolis. And we can talk about that... Um, the score in that 
as well. The sort of the gothic yeah. organ, that sort of Patty Kingsley stuff. That's <laughs> so it's great. It's almost a in D, isn't so it? Great. Yeah, great. so great. Those scenes are such a great little like holiday from regular sort of TARDIS Doctor mm. Who bits, and he's quite serious, sort of pacing the room, and mm. you get to see all these beautiful vines, and it's shot from a different angle that we're used to in the TARDIS. The overhead shots really work Again, well, don't they? Made, yeah. It makes, also makes you feel like a little bit like you're outside but inside, which mm. is that kind of curious quality of the cloister room yeah it's great i've just always loved it and even the cloister bell sounds kind of decayed mm. that sound it's, it's you know it's oh, almost yeah. underwater mm. it's strange steve you are on the edge of the sea i know there's more that you f- that you f- you feel you need to flesh out or- oh gosh there's probably too much more and i don't know how i'm going to do this but uh, <laughs> uh, the heisenberg uncertainty principle is probably something that i need to flesh out a little bit more particularly as it sort of relates to, to Logopolis and the themes of entropy. Mm, bring it in. Well, okay, this isn't as grand as the last time, but essentially Heisenberg's uncertainty principle sort of stipulates that in the very act of observing a phenomenon, you change the nature of the phenomenon. And of course, there's that parallel to the block transfer computations where those codes, those languages, those you know words cannot be run. Those numbers cannot be run. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it would actually change the nature of... The, the machines, the printers and the, the yes. you know, com- computers and turn them into pumpkins. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way and to look at it. That's why they intone the, the, the calculations. Right. Uh, but in doing so, change the nature of the universe itself. They punch that hole through reality to, to let the entropy escape. To sort of drain it, yeah. But I, it kind of, uh, you know, perhaps even sort of reminds me again uh, of the way in which the logo... logo uh, <laughs> we, we all do Yeah, this. we're all doing this now. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> no, it's just the pronunciation yeah. of... Logopolitans. Sweet We're all having trouble with the pronouncing logopolitans. <laughs> You're going to cut that what, out. What, you mean logopolitans? <laughs> logopolitans? But I think it's also reflected in the nature of the logopolitans who remove themselves from reality, if you like, or the universe, and, and in doing so are able to, you know... Um, I guess it was a choice. Yeah, it was a choice, but it, it kind of puts them on the same level as the Time Lords as well. You know, through mm. their non-interventionalist policy, I think there's the the same sort of approach there to the Logopolitans as well, yeah. and it does sort of put them on that sort of similar sort of level where they're so powerful that you know through their computations alone they can change reality into whatever they want it to be. And uh, and so, so knowing that responsibility and that power, they remove themselves from the universe in the same way that the Time Lords did. You know, after the uh, the Minos affair, let's not get into that uh, underworld. Um, but but that idea of you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So great, in fact, that they they remove themselves uh, from the phenomena, which in this case is the universe. Um, and, and and there's that sort of you know thematic resonance of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle in the nature of the Logopolitans themselves. What a selfless sacrifice. Hmm. Yeah. Steve, there's another one. Oh, yeah. uh, you've mentioned it to me earlier, the Barnet Bypass location that was chosen and <laughs> oh, just why it was chosen and what happened. I think everyone knows this story, but essentially the last police box standing in the British Isles was uh, All located of the in a lay-by <laughs> off Barnet Bypass. And so the production team thought, okay, well, great, we'll you know, trek, make the trek to northwest London, out of northwest London there and shoot. Uh, they turned up and they realised that it wasn't there. I think it had been removed a mere weeks or a couple of months oh, before in that. 1980, it's a miracle yeah. there is even one still it's there. It's true. 1980s, like that's the start of the satellite age. What do you need it police boxes been, for? It must have been knackered anyway. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have, and it wouldn't have looked like the TARDIS prop probably. anyway. But uh, yeah, that's 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 the reason why we, yeah, we might go not, to I mean, you still Bypass. see the odd like, Telstra phone box around Perth even. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a mirror booker or I don't know. But isn't it just like classic... Doctor Who, you know, that slightly crap nature to maybe the classic series where they've turned up expecting to find, you yeah. know, the, 
Best laid plans of mice and uh, men. You imagine the call to the production missing. office, couldn't you? It's like, ah, oh, we'll yeah. need that second John, TARDIS. Yeah, John's, uh, <laughs> speak to me. You know, uh, this is he. Yeah, this is he. <laughs> um, so they used, but they used, uh, they still used the same location anyway. They, they did, yeah. Although obviously <laughs> the the actual prop that so they, they brought wanted, it in, though. Yeah, yeah, they brought it in. Oh God, how battered was the the um. I love it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Oh, it does I want it to be battered. I want it to look like it's been sitting I, in... I don't think I've ever seen the TARDIS look as battered. Yeah, A BBC shed, you know, and sort of clapped out. When I love that. Adric's on top of it. Oh, like, I was worried that he was going to break something. Yeah. Health and safety. Thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. the same thing. Don't chip the so, paint. Matthew, darling, uh, that prop did cost a lot of money and we cannot <laughs> afford to uh, replace it. So, you know, break it, you bought it, Ducky. <laughs> I love this new segment. Anyway, <laughs> we've finished mopping up, and that, this is a magical device that means I don't have to go back and edit this into the earlier in the podcast. And what's even better is that it was smooth. Oh, baby. All right, we're going to switch now to one of our regular segments and find out what did Bridget think. Now it's my turn. All right, we've got Bridget here, and we're going to talk about... Uh, oh, hey, good start. Uh, we're going to talk about what you thought of Legopolis. How'd you go? Uh, I went, got through it. Yay! <laughs> you made it through four episodes of a yeah, 70s It was actually good and fast. Well, fast compared to your, uh, your Bridget fan favorite, Inferno. Yeah. Let's just start Ooh. off with the biggest uh, metric for you. Was it better than Inferno? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Dude. Good. That's in the bag. So, we're starting positive. So, this is a Tom Baker episode. It's one of your favorite doctors. Yep. Did you enjoy him his very, in his last episode? He's pretty I weird. No, he kind of like looked a bit haggard, seemed a bit tired. I think it was a bit mean sometimes. Yeah, like like the actor, supposedly. Yeah. At the time. Uh, yeah, he was pretty mean to Adric a bunch of times, which uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that too. Yeah, so you, that was your first Adric? No, 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 you've seen Earthshock, I think. I don't think I have. Oh, wait. So it's your, maybe your first, this is maybe your first Adric episode. Yeah. How'd you feel about um, the, uh, the A-Dog? I was like, man, a kid. Doctor Who's really trying to like get some fans. Really oh. pushing it oh, with the kid audience, trying to get a kid audience. Speaking of trying to get a specific audience, how did you feel about the Australian character, Tegan, who was put in to get the attention of the Australian audience? I thought she had some acting skills there. Yeah. Yeah. Bris- very, very, uh, very Queensland. She's very, very over the top and very theatrical. Hey, that's Brisbane, baby. I don't know. The director could have told her to chill out. I don't think it's all <laughs> Brisbane, eh? I like the intro. I like Auntie Vanessa and how they're just like... Uh, yeah, just she like was cool. Two Australians in London. She looks so English though, Auntie Vanessa. Well, because she's obviously been in, in London for a long time. She's uh, well, She's yeah. got a nice house. Yeah, right? That was sort of confusing. And a somewhat nice car that may have been nice 20 years before this episode went to went it. It was really it. nice. Well, it was battered to hell. Can't believe it made it around the corner. Mm, I feel bad for her. She's a tiny doll now. Oh, yeah. she Yeah, she died. Yeah, that was, that was like, oh my God, no. You were sad so about... pointless. You were sad life. about Auntie Vanessa dying? Yeah, why not? Could have kept her on. What if she came, I don't came know with her? sad's the right word. <laughs> At that point, like, my Uber Eats had arrived, so I was, I was quite happy. Then I was like, whoa, she's a tiny doll. Mmm, <laughs> rice. It was pretty... <laughs> really, I don't know. I was distracted. <laughs> Uh, so what about the story of Legopolis? Did you enjoy? I mean, I did you like, like about it. it. Yeah, I like the the creepy dudes in the holes doing the maths, oh, the, not uh, speaking, and how that could be a planet. The Logopolitans. Yeah, and I like how <laughs> the masters t- 
TARDIS like materialized as a shrub on like a rocky barren wasteland. Yeah. It was like, whoa, his camouflage is broken too. <laughs> it's like, this is a literal wasteland. There is not a single tree. And he's like, ding, 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 ding. Shrub. And then he quickly, quickly um, changed it to a, a Roman column, which also probably pretty scarce on the ground on an alien planet. I see no Romans. <laughs> I see rocks. It could, like, you were like, why is he, why is it rock? It has to be something theatrical. He's such a theatrical guy that it has to be something um, that, that would be on That master He was just crazy. It was like... <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't enjoy him, though. He was so great. I love how theatrically evil he is. He He's was so, so obviously the evil villain. Yeah. Right. I don't think I'd seen a master one. Yeah, I, this might be your first ones? your first master, not counting uh, John Sim and all the uh, new Doctor Who master stuff that's happened. Like, this is your first like really theatrical Rada master. He was black so gloves. Evil black like, gloves means comical evil. Though. Yeah, black gloves means evil in seventies right, TV. Yeah, right? it does. And he just yeah. always, always he's always chuckling, constantly laughing, Why? and just casually murdering people, which I enjoy because he's mad. Because he's crazy. You've gone mad. And the whole the sort the whole sort of overarching uh, subplot of the uh, universe being held together by maths. Oh man, of course it is. I don't. When I hear maths, I literally shut down. My brain just just goes poof, dust, and I just switch off instantly. And so he was like, I was like, maths, planet, whole universe. And then he was like, some kind of pseudoscience, blah 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 blah. Yeah, I'm charged back. Techno jargon, and I was like, oh man, I don't know what this stuff is. And I was like, hmm, Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> Our Uber Eats did come in between episodes two and three. So, yeah. yeah, and then I spilled it all over the couch and I had to go shake out my little blankie because there was all this rice, rice on it. That was the real climax of the, <laughs> the story for us, I think. It was all downhill from there. And uh, what, what about the uh, the fabled regeneration of Tom Baker? Oh, the final episode when I had no Uber Eats and I actually watched. <sighs> I was sleepy at that point. All that, all that lamb. Food, yeah, I was trying to digest some, some lamb mushwee. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually thought, dude, they could have canned it up. I was like, what? He just falls off. He just falls. Oh, so you didn't like it? Yeah, but like so undramatically. Like after all that time, you think that it could have been like... You know, it could have convulsed or it could have been like oh. some epic story. It could have been some romantic oh, I see. or some kind of profound thing that he would say. <laughs> You're used to the uh, new do- the new Doctor Regenerations where they like drag it out for a whole episode and then they have like a tragic monologue and then uh, they finally transform into the um, new Doctor. And in the old show, it's like, bam, 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 bam. We've got we to gotta turn the lights off at 10 p.m. in the studio. We've got to turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. And it's just like... Usually he just he like falls over or like scratches his finger and he's like oh no I regenerated and it's just uh, that's how very quick felt. it's yeah. just like what it's like whoa hang on wait he's regenerated I want the meaning of life I want I want some kind of like you know l- eye opening like a metamorphosis you're lucky if you get ten seconds of uh, of uh, regeneration in the old one and I kind of I like that they don't they don't they don't bang on about it too much but this one's like nice he like turns into that weird eggshell Peter Davison what happened what is with that weird plaster wrap guy. Seriously, that was the Doctor, but what? It never happens again, right? No, because in the old show, each regeneration is a little bit different because they use different, you know, technology to do each one, and each one's a little bit different. And it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Some of them are pretty crap. Sometimes he just crossfades from one actor to another, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, dude. Even a little crossfade. Why did he, why did that guy go into him? It didn't make any sense. Oh, the Watcher. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that people talk about. It's like it's not. It's never really that clear. He's sort of a future half regenerated version of 
the doctor who like guides him to his final generation. Mm. I'm sure Steve has already explained it really well to 20 minutes before you hear this. I was quite distracted because I, I thought I thought I saw him his hands covered in like those plaster bandages. So like I, I do a lot of craft and I love using those plaster bandages. And then he had all his finger and I was like, oh, when you take them off, like your hands go all powdery and kind of nice. And so I was just like really distracted about like how it would have felt to be wrapped in the plaster totally. bandages and then get cleaned again. Just all how powdery. The, the nice feeling of clean after you're so like itchy and covered in plaster of Paris. Well, because they actually did the regeneration in, they filmed him first covered in that powdery Pastor of Paris stuff and then because they only had two minutes left they just scrubbed it all they filmed it chronologically so they they put him in there scrubbed all the plaster off of him and then put him back so when he is in that shot he He's felt exactly of Paris. he felt exactly what you're talking about he had he, he felt scrubbed, the smoothness yeah. of post plaster of Paris and he looks smooth, smooth and rosy like a reborn reborn little baby a fresh new doctor oh there you go yeah right okay mm-hmm. maybe that's why that's why what but they used that plaster of Paris no, to give the feeling of rebirth. Smooth newborn skin To feeling. welcome the man. <laughs> I don't know. So I lost it. It's all right. So overall feelings? How do you feel about Logopolis generally and uh, Tom Baker's last story? Well, I feel like I didn't come to it with complete like neutrality, like being real neutral because I think you told me the story of all the backstory oh, there's two, of there's Tom two Baker s- being a jerk to all the crew <laughs> and then like every year... He'd be like... He, I'm going. He, I'm going. And I'm they'd quitting. be like, stay, stay. And then he'd be like, okay. And then one year they're, they're like, he's like, I'm going. And they're like, okay. And he's like, what? Oh, okay, <laughs> fine, bye. <laughs> I don't know. So I kind of knew that backstory that he was grumpy and like he was mean. And so when I watched it, I watched it through the lens of like, ah. they were happy to get rid of him. And like, but like, maybe I riddance. spoiled it. I don't know. I don't think you spoiled it, but. Also, I think because you told me it was the last episode when he regenerated that I was kind of waiting for him to die. And I had it in my head that, you know, oh, come on, there's going to be a cool death scene. He knows something that we don't know. But I think that would have been way more exciting for an audience that hadn't known that that was the last episode. <laughs> they probably knew, right? I'm sure it was announced that there was a new Doctor before that episode aired. I think everyone knew it was coming. Mm, End of the okay? season. Yeah. So final thoughts, Logopolis, how do you, you go? I think it was okay. Would you recommend this to a partner uh, of a Doctor Who fan who has never seen this episode before? In what way would I recommend it? Like, you know, as opposed to something good on Netflix or as in like, it's not the worst one. I mean, it's not Inferno. So, so better than Inferno, your final verdict? My final verdict. Would I recommend this? I would say yes. It's not the worst one. It's not as bad as Inferno. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pretty positive. It's about as positive as we get from Bridget. I think, and Tom Baker, he's good. He's a good doctor, and it's sad, you know, mm. that he had to pass the torch, and then they got that really nice doctor who was really nice. You love Peter Davison. Yeah, I think he's good. Yeah, he is sweet. Yeah, he's you, good. You're like a nice, warm, charming, friendly doctor. Yeah, I do. You love a, you love a man in a soft jumper. I do. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like my kryptonite. <laughs> I just like I love like the feeling of soft things. Okay, mm. the feeling of soft things. <laughs> Peter Davison in a nutshell. Well, thanks, Bridget. <laughs> we are looking forward to hearing your Logopolis song at the end of the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's going to be good. Back to you guys. One of the other good things about being back, lads, is that I get to introduce the next segment as well. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's cliffhangers, time. crackers or clangers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So, gentlemen, cliffhanger number one, it's the Barbie doll dream car. It's the dollies <laughs> in a bucket of bolts. Yeah, so we've got, what is it, the reveal that um, that uh, Auntie Vanessa and our previous policeman with mm. a bicycle have both yeah. been turned into monstrous dolls by the master. Yeah, we just had the line, uh, so he did escape from Trakan after all. <laughs> um, what do we think? Uh, 60p short at where the spoons aside, uh, I'm not a huge fan of that line that comes just a little bit before the cla- the, the cliffhanger. I'd yeah. like for it to have actually been cut just before and just like on Tom's yeah. face. Yeah, I agree. But yeah. we come back shortly afterwards, and it's the idea is great. The realization through the dollies never quite works for me. I want Gudge in the C in the CSO oh, lunchbox, definitely. right? Definitely. If we had oh, them and sort of, you know, mangled or perhaps their legs and arms akimbo. Yeah. Which was done better later on in the story Ooh. with the Lockapolitans. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, they had true. the legs akimbo oh, and, that, yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. it looked Little a lot dollies, more haunting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like in the novelizations, whenever that happens, it, it always seems to make mention that the, bo- the bodies are in an awkward... Or like yeah. slump, crumpled. Sort of, they're always crumpled, or yeah. like their legs are the wrong way, the, or there's something on their face that sort of shows that expression, like a rictus yeah. of horror. Well, because yes. you know. the idea of the miniaturizing ray, and we covered this in Terror of the Autons, just how frightful it actually of is. Of course, it is. It crushes you. It's not turning you into a doll. Mm. It's crushing you into something yep. very tiny. I know the dolls are crapper, but I do. I have always found them them in the car on the car seat super creepy. I still find them super creepy. This is a bit of a. <laughs> this is still a bit of a cracker for me. I think I'm uh, going with. Um, look, I don't know if it's fair to call it a clangor because it is budgetary restraints, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we do get a bit of colour separation overlay in Logopolis, but it didn't get used here where I do I think it would why. have been. I don't know either. Like, then they would have had to do it for all the Logopolis. Yeah, that yeah. Right. It's possible, yeah. Um, look, I'm going to give it a... I'm grudgingly going to give it a clacker. <laughs> <laughs> all right, or a clacker from Cole. Yeah, probably the same. Okay. I do like the the... Tom, the, the doctor looks in the window first, and you, we don't get to see what he sees. But you see mm. that's where look, they should have cut it. Yeah, the that's, look on his face tells you that something is seriously yeah. wrong. And then he says the line, the Weatherspoons line. Yeah, yeah. Cliffhanger number two, the shrinky Tardis. Ah, the oh, yeah. uh, so the the master's gone and muffed the the code that the Lucabolitans are using. <laughs> It's like three digits out or something. He's yeah. three takes. digits. Three yeah. blokes, three digits. So when they're attempting to uh, fix the chameleon circuit in the TARDIS, it actually starts shrinking the TARDIS. Faintly ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Not a big fan of this Underwhelming one. when the exit music came in, I felt. I was like, oh, okay, that was the cliffhanger. All right. Um, look kind of cool. A lot of money would have been spent on that small TARDIS. And uh, the glowing effect. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, the glowing small effect. TARDIS actually rules when they're I carrying it around. Yeah. It is yeah. ridiculous. But it, looked, it looked too clean compared to the battered one yeah. that it was mm, true. shrunk yeah, from. Yeah. But, you know, hey, whatever. Um, it, it would have been more. It would have been another 50p to get someone in with some sandpaper to sort of buff that up a bit. <laughs> Should have had the TARDIS shrink, but Tom not shrink inside the TARDIS. So he's just in a massive, inside a tiny <laughs> console room, fiddling with the tiny controls. <laughs> you know I mean? Well, in the novelization, there's re- mention to like the internal dimensional forces just like being all stretched and like they change and, you know, making really short and really Is that tall. why we get the, um, the, weird. the sort of... Um, Oh, yeah. the Vaseline so, on the lens yeah, I sort think, of look I think so. it's the closest you could approximate in 1980 yeah, yeah. Oh, I did kind of like how they had the um, through the um, the TARDIS monitor like you saw their faces like their fa- and also like the, the, the hive of Logopolis not so steady cam yeah, yeah the yeah. not so steady cam yeah I love that oh, that was kind of cool I do like when Adric and Tegan's faces are just kind of peering in like yeah. <laughs> but yeah it, it is a bit ridiculous and as a cliffhanger serving as a cliffhanger a little underwhelming um, maybe that scene through Eyes of Today though maybe 
I think it could definitely work, yeah. Maybe. Again, the idea is great. The execution See, this is the thing. Some cliffhangers are timeless. Mm. We've talked about the ones in the in autons. Oh, yeah. You know, like the, those ones are timeless. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now you've got ones here that, look, we're not looking at it in 1980. So Yeah, and they're know. both special effects driven, I guess. So 1980 maybe that's why. or not, scary it ain't. No. Okay. It's a clack of... It's a clang. Resounding. Resounding. It's a big clang. Yeah. <laughs> Many Resounding cloister clang. bell clangs. I'm giving it a clanger too. I'm giving it a clanger. I'm going to be generous clacker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We've had two, no, three clackers so far. <laughs> That's only halfway through. Okay. Cliffhanger number three. It's the handshake. Ooh, it's yeah. uh, the meeting of the minds. It's the second time we've ever had to see the doctor and the master join join forces. Ooh. It's happened a few times. So it happens in Terror of the Autons. Yep. Uh, Mind of Evil. Oh, that, there's, another, there's another mirror to Autons right there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, true, true. You've also got um, Time Monster to a degree. I think it's sort of, again, been made sort of mining that Doctor Master, third mm. Doctor. When you've got it's, two two, two yeah. characters and actors also that brilliant, you've got to team them up, right? Yeah. It's like with Delgado and Pertwee, oh, you have to have them God. team up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And also, like, uh, you know, having them teamed up, like, on the radio tower at the end is so Autons as well. Yeah. Like, mm. It really does refer back to Terror of the Autons in many ways, and that's another example, yeah. yeah. I do like the handshake where uh, the Doctor can't bring himself to look in the, in the eyes oh, of the smiling... The look on Tom's face, yeah. so good. And Ainley sort of like does the brush of the sleeve, like you see a bit of dust off, like, <laughs> shall we? And he puts his hand out. And he's having a great time. Like He loves yeah. making the Doctor shake his hand. He's, yeah. he's like, I love it. He's dragging the Doctor There's down. another great bit where he touches the Doctor on the arm and he recoils from him in the radio. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was four. really yeah. good. It yeah. was really good. Tom was very pleased with that in the commentary as well. He's like, oh, look how I did that <laughs> marvellous yeah I the idea of this uh, like the doctor sort of sinking to these depths to, to yeah. also because Nissa they, then the companions protest like very strongly because he's obviously just wiped out like Nissa's entire family planet solar system mm. and everything around it mm. she's super cut that he's about to uh, join forces yeah uh, and that's what makes it kind of heavier for me this is a this is a mild cracker I like it I love the idea of it, you know, on a desolate plane on an alien planet, the last chance for all of civilization and the mm-hmm. universe as well. You know, mortal enemies coming together to save the day, but you can never quite trust him. And we know that we can't trust Lord him. And no. that's that's yeah. the peril that's sort of implied. I, I like it. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Steve. Um, you know, shock factor removed, it still stands as a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Because you want to see what happens next. Yeah. yeah you no, want to know like totally. what... Yeah, I mean, look, I'm giving it a cracker. Yeah, it's a cracker. Cr- cracker for me. It makes me want to see what smarmy moves Ainley's going to pull in <laughs> yeah. episode four. <laughs> exactly. That's like what he's all about. I love that guy. Well, we come to cliffhanger number four. Mm-hmm. In many respects, the biggest cliffhanger in Doctor Who history. Ooh, you're going that deep. Oh, I will. Oh. Because it's the regeneration scene. Of course. It's the last moment of Tom. As yeah. we said before, possibly the best in our opinions. I, I think it is. I think certainly of the classic. Uh, Eccleston to Tennant really does stand up there with it as well, I think, for me. But there, you know, all the things that we talked about before, the poignancy, mm. uh, all, all the score, all of that. But, but let's not forget that the audience at the time would have had to wait 18 months or so yeah. to see what happens next in, mm. in Castrovalva. It's excruciating when it's a new Doctor as well. Yeah, yeah. So, the, you don't have the Doctor you've had for the last seven years. So in that regard, exactly, in that regard, you know, the fact that we've gone from for many people, the Doctor, and this has changed. I think a lot of kids would have been very perplexed by that after seven years yeah. of, of Tom being not just the fourth Doctor, but actually the Doctor for them. Uh, and then an 18-month wait 
18 month wait until you actually saw what happens next and, mm-hmm. and what's this new guy and how does, how's this will work yeah uh, I think it's a it's a great yeah. cliffhanger I it love, is a cliffhanger I yeah. love in the in the classic series how each doctor kind of gets their own uh, regeneration effect sometimes before this it's yeah. really just been like Fades a, a crossfade yeah, yeah crossfade yeah <laughs> this is maybe the first time that they really put a lot of effort into it and wow it just looks like we said before like the Davison kind of being born like a baby bird yeah yeah, yeah. Like, actually we said earlier great. Troughton and Pertwee didn't even get one did they no. they didn't even get a crossfade no and Pertwee and Baker just get a crossfade and then this time they're like we, you know it's been seven years we gotta do something cool and well, it man, just was it looks, ever just looks great was it ever that's probably again let's let's give some credit to the guy that's J&T sort of instincts yeah. there yeah. for no, the spectacle look, he's, man he has his place yeah. I'm gonna say like he's he has desi- brought in creative direction to the show in his tenure that now stands as Doctor Who imagery mm-hmm. in its own right yeah, we've talked sure. about the the neon the fluorescent tube logo <laughs> the McCoy logo yeah. the music the you know I the feel intro the Starfield intro it's so awesome over these 20 episodes that we've done of uh, New to Who I've come around on JNT a lot like I've come to yeah. like him a lot more than I did especially no, uh, none more so than when we interviewed Cartmore and like he had lots of good things to say and it's had me thinking about him a lot more and I come come down on his side a lot more than I used to I th- he cared yeah. he did care uh, yeah. there's no doubt yeah. For sure yeah. Yeah, he's a very complex man and maybe a very, you know, difficult man to, at times as well. So was they Tom were, Baker. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. He had a vision and this was the start of it and he got to really put a stamp on it at the start. Yeah. It. And mm. it looks, it's yeah. just great. Mm. And I, this is like, it's such a huge, I mean, it's been been amplified over time, over yeah. the years to be such an important moment in Classic Who, but it really is like mm. a resounding thunderclap of like, uh, it, like you said, it's like a, it's not even a thunderclap it's like a slow funereal very very solemn moment oh, mm. it's solemn like and uh, when you say goodbye to him for the last time like the, from when he's swinging on the rope oh, yeah. to his last words lying down and the, and the mm. reaching the and reaching the reaching out. for the watcher yeah, and the you get the watcher back yeah. which is um, another like that just ties a, a, a ribbon on the end of that watcher thing it and ties it all up nicely and it's a great idea can I, can I suggest one thing that I would like to have changed in our inimitable way mm. <laughs> Uh, and again, I want to go back to the novelization, which is oh, of course, the Doctor's trusty scarf is yeah. what he's hanging by, and in the end, it's his trusty scarf that fails him. So does it tear? It, it tears. Okay. Yeah, so entropy, the- man. <laughs> That's it. What well, sort of wear and tear when you face directly with entropy on Logopolis? Is it going to be on that scarf? The scarf knew it was time, man. But yeah, yeah I just think that would have been a poignant, oh, perfect, beautiful I, way to Even when it. we were watching it yesterday, I was thinking you were anticipating the scarf. Well, I was thinking, why didn't they use the scarf? Yeah. Just would have Why didn't they use the scarf yeah. instead of the cable? But hey, and in the end, it's just like Tom's grip finally, you know, fails from the girder mm. there. Uh, but Follows well from that look. Yeah, when did that look of realization yeah. on his face? It's just like, well, it is going to happen. He here. knows. I right? wonder, yeah, wonder if he. It. I wonder if he does slip or whether he lets go. So this one's a super cracker. Mm, I think so. It's oh, an immortal, biggest, mortal bit most of beautiful too. cracker in the land. <laughs> I think so. I love it. It's a glimmering cracker. Yeah. <laughs> hey Dan. Why should we watch this? Why should anybody watch this? <laughs> Why should anybody watch Legopolis? Well, if you're looking for an entry point into Doctor Who that tells you so much about what it's about, you've got a transition from uh, mm. maybe the most loved and obviously longest played Doctor uh, to another fabulous Doctor who probably possibly doesn't get all the credit he deserves mm. in a fantastic story which deals with death and decay and sadness and entropy and there's love and there's loss there's no love there's no love <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of loss uh, and you've got a great supporting cast you've introduced a lot of uh, new companions like you've got final story Tom which is like huge just so grand and, uh, and I'm going to say one thing there is love I think love from the watcher 
Sure, I can feel that. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. Let's go there. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm <laughs> honestly, it. it's better than what I've got. Mine is just like, well, if you don't want to watch the last story of Tom Baker, then what is wrong with you? <laughs> it's got everything. It like, does, but yeah. it's a beautiful story, and it's got a great master, like a fantastic master. First only. Yeah, maybe first only story. One of his first and best. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, and yeah, then the ending is just so huge. And huge. the the depth of this story, and like mm. Steve's eloquently put a lot of the, a lot of the depth yeah. into words it's just like it's like peeling back the layer of an orange it's just it's so much there it's if tom Baker's is one of the best doctors it's one of the best toms like oh, easily it's gosh way up yeah there. so Definitely. i mean totally what about you steve yeah well uh, all of those things i love its complexity but and it's she work a genius but this this whole story is about endings it's it's the end of everything and all things and not least the end of this fourth doctor um it's not just about the events that lead up to that. It's actually a fugue. Uh, the whole thing is a mood piece, as you say, Nicole. Mm. We pause at that threshold, not at the beginning that comes next with Castro Valva, but rather right at the end, just before the entropic forces and the nature of time and space and the universe uh, just come to, to claim the life of the largest hero among all 13 lives of the Doctor. Um, I don't think there's any more fitting away that the you know seven years of Tom Baker's run could have ended than this. It's it's a fugue. It's a, it's it's a lament that you know sings the music of mathematics in some form of symphonic wonder, and it sounds its final note into the silence of that last rite, the broken old body of our childhood mm-hmm. hero at the foot of the radio telescope tower, festooned in a sea of maroon and light. This is the way this doctor dies, not in a blaze of self-serving expected glory. But in the moments following the defeated piece in which he remembers all his friends in the seconds before his trusty scarf at last fails him. And so this doctor falls amidst the poetry of logic and the divinity of number. Wow. There you go. Sweet dorks. I don't think you'll oh. hear, hear a more eloquent uh, no, you appreciation of this uh, story. Festooned in a sea of maroon. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. I'm going to remember that one. That's that great. is poetic. <laughs> Beautiful. Lovely. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> So we've pretty much come to the end That's of it, our yeah. Lookopolis podcast. First of all, obviously, holy jeez, we have to say thank you, Cole, for coming back. We're so Cole. grateful. Oh my goodness, we couldn't have done Lookopolis without you. It's no, just I not have been right. I've had a whale of a time today, James. <laughs> and look, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on something. You know, it was really hard for me to leave the podcast because, unfortunately, life does throw the odd curveball, and you do have to prioritize. And one of the saddest things for me was that I had to give up a few things that I loved. And one of them was this podcast with you fine gentlemen. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I look forward to doing more with you. I do want to say that I am so proud of the pair of you for what you've accomplished in the time that I've been gone. I've actually been keeping up with the podcast and listening. And uh, now more than ever, you're my best friends. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> you know, we had you in mind in every, every, every one we did. It's very true. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's great to be back. It's like old times. Mm. I've had a, such a good time today. <laughs> it's been fantastic. Well, thanks so much for, for doing oh, with us. My goodness. Felt like old times. The right. pleasure is 100% all mine. <laughs> all right, Steve, do you want to share the love for the end of this episode? Yeah, here we go. So as we, as we normally and usually do, I'm just going to read out like basically a whole bunch of podcasts that mm-hmm. we've been listening to over the years. And some of them are new and some of them are old. And I really do encourage our sweet dogs to go out there and branch out uh, and have listened to these. I, mean, I think, you know, all of them in turn have influenced and informed and inspired mm. the way that we've sort of gone about our own. Um, and as I say, just go out there and, and, and see what's out there. So we've got, uh, in no particular order, the all-new Doctor Who Book Club, 
uh, episodes of Death, 42 to Doomsday, Diddly Dumb, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Uh, well, that's a good one. It is. Proctor Who, Radio Free Scaro, uh, Strangers in Space taking over from the Blue Box podcast. Ah, yes, theme. yes, yes. J.R. Southall's new, new yeah. venture. Yeah. Give that a go. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Uh, the Complete Menagerie, almost. Uh, Crinoid Podcast, uh, The Metabilis 2, The Moment. Doctor Who, The Writer's Room with hey. our old friend Eric Stadnick. That's a yeah. great one. Verity, Zeus Plug, Galactic Yo-Yo. Uh, I'll explain later. Uh, on the Time Lash. Splendid chaps. <laughs> I've always loved the so name many on good the time lash. Yeah, it's so good. So many good names. They, those, that is a good pod. The Doctor Who show as well. Uh, the Time Ladies, Trial of a Time Lord. Uh, and not least, Flight Through Entirety. Ah, we always come back to them. The big one. Yeah. yeah they are amazing. Sterling. And I'm going to add Jody into Terror. Ah, yes. <laughs> Their little offshoot pod uh, that's covering Series 11 as it happens. It's yeah. been really fun, that It's one. great listening, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I like Great they, name too, Jodie Interstellar. Totally, they're really so good cool. at names. I love how they kind of keep it keep it short because <laughs> they're obviously going to hit those episodes in a couple of years. Of course, yeah. Yeah. of course, yeah. But yeah, I feel like it's the biggest influence on us and one of the For sure. reasons we thought maybe we could do our they're, own podcast. I'm gonna Foolishly, go as, we did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go as far as to say they're peerless. I, oh. I think obviously just the effect that they've had on us and their friendship as mm. well over the years, I we really just owe them a great huge oh, I'm also going to say my favourite episodes that I've heard of you guys... Um, has been the, t- the well, I'm going to say the invasion with Nathan and Brendan. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. and I'm going to say uh, v- Vengeance on Varus with uh, Todd and Richard. Yeah, they so were great. So, so, so lucky so to have them on. Yeah, it was really fun. Oh no, that was um, that was great listening. Those conversations were fantastic. So yeah, we'd probably like to like that's our biggest recommendation, and we'd like to say thank you to them again for. And guy, and they're still even though they have finished with classic, they're still going, going into, well yeah, into yeah. Uh, where are they now? Uh, yeah, at, at time the end of recording, of series mm. one. Yeah, at, th- at the end of series one. Yeah. Okay, they've, mm. they've brought out the Davison commentary episode for Enlightenment today yes. or yesterday. Yes. Which I know oh you're looking forward to. Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, and then uh, I think after a little break, they're going to go on to season two of the new series. Yeah, the Tenant's first season. So I'm looking forward to it. And my favorite new Who series. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> you can either buy Legopolis on DVD from BBC Online or buy the episodes on iTunes. You can follow us here at New to Who on Facebook and Twitter at New to Who Podcast or even email us at New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. All our episodes can be found at New to Who.com on iTunes or wherever you feel like getting your podcasts. If you feel like clicking subscribe or leaving a million star review, these things always help us and we'd really appreciate it. Million star review. <laughs> well, it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. We've been using that cloister bell since the beginning. Uh, it has presaged the moment that has been prepared for. And here it is, gentlemen, sweet dogs, this is the end. And in my end is my beginning. The three of us who started and now finished this journey together, gathered here in this old barn on a burnt orange earth under the blazing sky of another Perth summer, around these microphones and a big red button. New to who will return one day. Yes, one day. But until then... We hate goodbyes. I'm Stephen. I'm Dan. And I'm Cole. Thanks for everything. Be seeing you.